Oi, you, stop that and listen to me tell you about these awesome people. Andy Marsh, Cole Hutchinson, David Hearn, Sven Oser, 2000 DC, Gary Heather, Roger McNally, Lee Dove, Mark Fletcher, Etienne Vettingfeld, Niall Bullitt, Alexander Gosling, Tim TJ Walker, Phil Sowerby, Joshua Kay, Dominic Kendrick, Rune P, Nick James, Daniel Spreadbury, Peter Price, Richard Davey, Dennis B, ALH2 Retro, Liam Carew, Dylan Darch, Trevor Planner, Alistair McMillan, Mark Schutz, Lee Sparkles, Dan Wales, Gary Wilson, Oscar Jacobson, Brian Howarth, Rob Clayton, Clyde Ratcliffe, Johan Luis Sanchez, Adam Askew, Leo Staples, Jason Hutchins, Jan Halholm, David Stringer, and Chris Snowden. These amazing people have backed our Patreon at the C64 tier, and the support they offer is just awesome. If you want to join them, get a mention in next month's shout-out, access to our Discord server, early access to ad-free episodes along with any special releases we put out along with anything else we can think of, and sign up by the 18th of the month at patreon.com forward slash zap to the past for little more than the price of a pint of beer. Now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 140 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. We're using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap 64 itself. This week... We start our look at January 1990, and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 57 of Zap64, along with what was also going on in the UK singles and albums chart that month. Graham, tis a new month, a new year, and even a new decade. What awaits us? in this land of the future. Hooray, we're finally into the 1990s. Goodbye, 80s. Bah! Surely it would be a new decade of quality C64 games. Surely. In the year that brought us the World Wide Web, DVDs and text messages for the first time, we grease up our armour and get our 8-bit spooky on as we once again take Arthur the Knight on a quest to rescue the princess in Ghouls and Ghosts. Do some spinning, knee bends and add a couple of hee-hees as we explore the awfulness of Moonwalker and try and convince our eyes and brain to coordinate as we throw a whole load of 8-bit crazy at them in Wicked. Wow, it also turns out the Humble MP3 was invented in 1990. Seems like we only just got CD Walkmans. Anyhow, after our usual look at the singles and albums, we get our bird bulk on and head off to the mystical and extensively researched tombs of ancient Egypt on some kind of convoluted quest for talismans in Eye of Horus, dive into the complex world of manga, only with all the art, finesse and animation removed in the clumsy Strider, before finally taking a somewhat angular and clever approach to puzzles in the unusual and very interesting Snare. 1990 starts with a gold medal, wow! Though something tells me it might just be another chocolate coin and some ribbon. Hmm. Well, it was future good. Then. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I don't, it's a, we don't know. We don't know. I think we might. We might. We do know. It's a mixed bag. It's a bit of a mixed bag. It is. It's a 10p mixed bag full of uh, full of we don't know what's. Well, I'm thinking it's just sort of almost seeing off the like the night the 1918 the 80s. It's seeing off the 80s a bit. Yeah, so, yeah. we know we, we move that. into the 90s. We're seeing off the 80s. Is the last dregs maybe here and there. Yeah, but it's you know we did our bread bin awards. We're back. We're in. You know, it's new. It's all new, and this is all brand new to me. I I tuned out of Zap by now. Got completely. Yeah, same. All, same. So, so these games are a will be a, a you know a proper voyage of discovery for most of these. Yeah, totally. I mean, the certainly the reviews. I mean, I have the these issues of Zap are unknown to me. I did. I, I'd stopped buying Zap at this point anyway. Yeah, so would I. Yeah. So, and I wasn't buying any magazines. I actually stopped buying any gaming magazines and I never actually bought any more ever again, apart from maybe some episodes of Retro Gamer, obviously, later down the line. Mm-hmm. And the occasional edge, the occasional edge. Um, but uh, that this was it. I just didn't, I never bothered with Amiga Power or Commodore Power, whatever the hell it was. I didn't bother with any of them. So. Amiga Format. Yeah, all those ones. No, I, I, I never bothered with that. I, I did get back into a bit later. I was buying Edge and Games TM for a while. Yeah, yeah, Games TM. I was trying to think what the other, I've had a few of them for a while. I think I got yeah. them because I read them on your toilet. Not in, well, yeah, on your toilet and in your bathroom, yeah. <laughs> I, wondered, I wondered who was in there at the time. You weren't even, you didn't come round to my house. You didn't even introduce yourself. You don't come round to a man's house and just use the toilet. <laughs> I seem to remember you had a stack of magazines in your t- toilet. I could be wrong. Yeah. Maybe I've got the wrong No, I probably place, did. But... I probably did. They're, all, they're good They're good bog reading. Yeah, um, yeah, good, they are. good bog reads. But good bog reads. It's a, it's a new month. That means we must uh, avail ourselves of the cover. Yes, yes, we must. And what an odd cover it is, really, well, this. this. This bodes, this, I mean, this cover basically bodes for next week, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And, and the beginning of the saga of Operation Thunderbolt, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it does. It's an ocean cover again. So, you know, so it's ocean, Graham. Ocean paid for that cover, I'm imagining. Um, yeah, and it's, you know, it's a pretty, vi- very clever, pretty, pretty mm-hmm. violent cover as it goes. Oddly yellow, I thought. Yeah, oddly yellow and a bit jingoistic in it. I mean, there's, there's some... No, just a bit. There's some people of, shall we say, you know, non-Western origin getting mown down by yeah. people of Western origin, shall we say, or, you know, on this side. Uh, it's a bit It's a bit Rambo. Did we notice the helicopter in the background there? Look at that. Check it out. That's definitely Gazelle. Aren't we, aren't we informed about helicopters now in the military? <laughs> Far we too know things. Yeah, we do. Things we didn't want to know. <laughs> but yeah, it is very yellow, isn't it? It's a very... Yeah, very yellow, the yellow hues. Obviously, had a, a boatload of yellow paint left over or something from. There's not much yellow on the Christmas one, was there? So probably all he had left. Only three. <laughs> yeah, loads of yellow ink left there. Absolutely. Whatever you're going to draw, make it yellow. We've got so much yellow ink to use in these print presses. We don't know what to do <laughs> with it. Press. It's telling us that cyan is empty. All we've got left is the yellow, <laughs> and it's all little print. I just want to print in black. Cyan is empty. I just want black. There's a, jo- there's a joke from the early 2000s. I'm on. <laughs> That is that's monochromatic printer jokes. Yeah, Goodness we me. love them. Niche, so niche. Yeah, yeah. more so than remember normal. multiple copies are verboten. Remember, the, just remember that. Just remember that. Yeah, that'll make Gary laugh. <laughs> so yeah, so there's two guys shooting some other guys. It's all right. It's action packed, but it's a bit of its time, isn't it? Yeah, it's just I don't know. There's something something a bitty about it. I don't. It's pretty gory as well. There's blood splurts everywhere and all that kind. Of, it's just a little bit. Um, I don't know. It's it's the usual Ollie Frey. If it's Ollie Frey that did this one, but it's, it's the usual like kind him. of you know kinetic movement, and he always does that really well. 
and action, you know, fiery action. It is that. So it's it's good for that. It is just a little bit on the edge. You know, you, you wouldn't get away with that kind of thing now, I don't think. And um, and then, of course, this usual blend, you know, image on the right-hand corner, text on the left-hand corner. And then they just stacked the text. They're not yeah. bothered with anything. Just stack it. Just bloody stack it. Don't matter. Just stack it in the corner. So mm-hmm. you end up with this really weird kind of block of text. And then a really odd prize, which I don't know what a TR3 TV video is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Is, what is that? For, is, when a TR3 TV video from US Gold. Yeah. Uh, that might, from, so US Gold are sponsoring some of the uh, the competitions here. That might explain some of the uh, the scores this mm, month. US Gold sponsoring <laughs> the competitions. Ocean paying for the cover. Anyone would think that this magazine was influenced by the marketing muscle <laughs> of these large publishers. I'm not one to say anything like that. Not Far me, though. From it. Not, <laughs> Not me, me though. Yeah. no. I, I love Krusty. No, and the fact that it's got, you know, retrograde, Thalamus' C64 Mega Blaster, better than Armalite. <laughs> no, I haven't tried no. it. No, it's not. No, um, no. But anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> Snare, F29, Retaliate, Ghouls and Ghosts, SimCity. That's an interesting one. Yeah, I just, Ghouls and Ghosts, it'll, it'll scare the willies out of you. I just, who wrote this shit? Who wrote this shit? <laughs> Harry. Uh, <laughs> uh, but there you go. I've, I've got not what much to say about the cover. It's no, just there you no, go. no. It's just, there it is. Yellow. It's too yellow for my liking. Yeah. I don't like the way as well they've done that op Thunderbolt. Right operation. Yeah, yeah. Why does it say op dot? Why? Is that is the it, name of the so, game? Is that what it's actually well, named? It, so it so it doesn't go over the blue of the zap there. Of the, yeah, but, it's, it's like, but his head his head does, and the gun does. Yeah, I don't know. Op Thunderbolt. You know what we mean when we say op, don't you? Uh, I do, but it's not <laughs> the name of the game, is it? <laughs> no, I don't know. And Ocean Blaster way into the nineties. <laughs> that works on two ways, doesn't it? Score and decade. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to start just abbreviating shit for no reason. It's, instead of System 2, just put S3. It's S3's latest game. Yeah. You could play G&G. <laughs> yeah, S. well, that always, that always causes confusion, doesn't it, G&G? Because the first one was Ghosts and Goblins. So it's like, G&G, which yeah. one are you talking about? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like modern parlance uh, would be G-O-W. It's like Gears, or God, Gears of War or God of War. Which one are you talking about? Which, what which you one? T- what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> you could have had System 3's Venn diagram instead of Vendetta. Have, you could have, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. A lot less interesting, but uh, we'll soon find out. I don't know, who knows? Anyway, there you go, it's the cover, it's all right. There let's get is. some games. Let's okay. let's get along, let's get in some games. Let's get the first games of the 1990s, and let's do that now. And so, that first game, the first game of the 1990s, it's over to you, Graham. It is G&G. Tell us all about G and G, not Gina G. <laughs> not me. Ooh, uh, just a little bit. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a no, little bit. G and G. Ghouls and ghosts. Ooh. Ooh. Nine pounds ninety nine. This percent uh, gold medal. Wow. Okay, ninety six percent. So ninety six percent is the benchmark for gold medals. Then all right, it is now. It is now. Um, yeah, yeah. The publisher of this magnificent thing is uh, US Gold. The copyright though is Capcom. Irem. This was developed by Software Creations. They know a thing or two about a thing or two, don't they? Bubble Bobble, Led Storm, they did them. All right, they were all right, weren't they? They were. Coda was they Stephen were. Ruddy, or Steve Rudy. Uh, he did Bubble Bobble, Black Lamp, Led Storm. Uh, graphics at Andrew R. Threlsfall, Threlfall. He did Bubble Bobble, Led Storm. Kind of most of the people he did Bubble Bobble and Led Storm, with the exception of uh, <laughs> Tim Follin, who just did Led Storm, and Bionic Commando and other things. So 
These guys know their way around, you know, know their way around the C64. They've done stuff, not all of the ace, but they've done stuff. Mm. So Ghouls and Ghosts then was a 1988 smash hit arcade from Capcom, becoming the eighth highest grossing arcade game of 1989 in Japan. Ooh. It's the sequel, of course, to Ghosts and Goblins. It is heralded for its great pixel artwork, challenging, if not impossible, gameplay, <laughs> and overall ad- an advance made on the Ghosts and Goblins format. So they took the Ghosts and Goblins game, and mm-hmm. this is a... No, a logical sequel to that. And that's okay. And the arcade game is very much like that. The story of the game then, and this is the story of the arcade. I'll come to the weirdness of the stupid brief C64 version of this. So the actual game is three years after the events of Ghosts and Goblins, the ghosts have returned with ghouls for revenge, Ooh. initiating a immortal holocaust on Princess's kingdom as beams of light struck through countless villagers. Nasty stuff, isn't it, that? Mm-hmm. When Sir Arthur returns to the village, his rescue attempt was too soon as his beloved Princess Prin Prin, as she's called in the arcade in every other version on Earth, also has her soul taken away from her body in front of your very eyes. Oh. Now it's up to the heroic knight once again to slay his way to the hellish castle to defeat the evil Lucifer and his legion of demons and restore the souls of Prin Prin and every mortal. That's kind mm-hmm. of the story. So then it's a nice arcade setup. Dead simple. Mm-hmm. You're chasing the princess. Classic. Mario's m- made countless games based on this idea. Indeed, yeah. Rescue the damsel. Rescue the princess, right? It's that. Yeah, rescue the princess, yeah. According to the wiki, versions of Ghouls and Ghosts were released in Europe in 1989 for the Amstrad CPC, Amiga, Atari ST, Commodore 64, and ZX Spectrum. These versions were all handled by software creations and all omit a great deal of detail from the arcade. Dun, 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 dun. Omit. Omit. Hmm. Omit. Omittance is high, or is it? So according to the C64 instructions, this is the story. Can you help Arthur in his quest to rescue Princess Huss? Question mark. Huss? Princess Huss. H-U-S. Princess Huss. Who's Huss? <laughs> That's what it says. Five pulsating levels of heart-stopping action where formidable opponents block your way. There you go. Hope you like that. Let's not get too deep, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> Keep it nice and short. <laughs> So, so I like our instructions. None of this myth nonsense. <laughs> None of this myth. Yet myth. You know, we haven't even got to the stupid bloody uh, wicked yet. Is it wicked or one of them? Goodness me, that goes wild. That one. Okay, we'll come to that. So there's six levels in the arcade. Well, there's five levels. The arcade's a bit is formatted kind of strangely because there's five levels, and when you get mm. to the end of the fifth level, it says you've got to go back and do all five levels again because you didn't. You need a magic key to get through the final door. And then there's a sixth level, which is the kind of the big final boss, Lucifer himself. Oh God! So this, I know, and that's and that's that's a testament to how hard this game actually is. It makes mm. you do the game twice to finish it. That's just mean. It is mean, but that's the arcade. So there's six levels, really. Not in the C64 version, though. <laughs> <laughs> there's only five uh, they spare uh, you that pain so there's five pulsating levels from a pulsating's an odd word to use for that description but uh, there it is so you've got to say so that's the kind of the route you need to take for the arcade not the case in the c64 the game is fundamentally the same side-scrolling notion as ghosts and goblins work your way from left to right within the time limit avoiding the enemies that pop up some of them carry pots with extra weapons in and things like that and there are other traps there's also chests in this one which give you upgrades and so this in the classic tradition of ghosts and goblins you can get weapon upgrades by picking up the weapons some of the weapons are good some of them are crap and you know which ones are crap they're the ones that have like an arc so daggers <laughs> shields lances good uh, fire you know whatever drops to the ground crap uh-huh. So you, you'll know this, but you know if you if you're a seasoned player of Ghosts and Goblins, you know to avoid those ones. If mm-hmm. you see the pickup, you're like, no, not that. So those are the kind. It works the kind of same way. That's you know the same logic. I'll come to how they sort of the upgrades work 
in the C64 version because in the arcade you can get super armor and you can get super upgraded weapons as well. It's sort of there in the C64 version, but not particularly well realized, has <laughs> to be said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to try and jump, run, climb the ladders from, you know, gradually work your way to the boss at the end of the level, kill the boss, get the key, go through the giant door, onto the next level. That's how it kind of works. That's the kind of ghosts and goblins, ghouls and ghosts way. The levels are generally multi-directional, but you really need to kind of aim right and up, or right and up and down, but to the right. That's always the way. <laughs> to the right. <laughs> Back and to the right. The controls are with the joystick, and they work the same way as they're kind of doing Ghosts and Goblins, really. Directions to move, you know, jump at an angle, that kind of thing. Fire to shoot your weapon, up to jump, down to crouch, up and fire shoots the weapon upwards so you can do directional shooting downwards and things like that. Sometimes, I have to say sometimes, because it's <laughs> sometimes, a bit and miss. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's a little bit annoying that there's, there seems to be a... I'm not quite sure what decides whether you jump and shoot upwards or whether you just stand and shoot upwards. This it just It's a bit hit and miss. Yes. Um, but you know, that is a quirk of this game. I'll come to the quirks and stuff in a bit, but that is one of the quirks. You can also collect special weapons, like I said, and powers. Once you collected them from the chests, you can activate them by holding the fire button down, which, which sort of activates kind of a bar. That's the same as the arcade. There's like a little charge bar, and you charge it up, and then it will unleash this weapon. Or you can just press the space bar, which seemed to just unleash it immediately I'm not quite sure what the dealio was with that anyway so the graphics for the c64 version is certainly the better of the 8-bit home computer ports no i did not say consoles there and this game has been ported to pretty much everything for an amazing version of this outside of modern remakes look to the sega mega drive or the saturn which seemed to me when i did the comparison um, looked quite amazing actually they have to, i have to say the saturn version was mind-blowing for something from a if you want to see like a horror story version of this Go and look at the Amstrad version and just cry and pity, pity them. <laughs> pity those pity those poor Amstrad owners. So anyway, we've got five levels, not six, like I said. And generally, the levels that are there are complete. In the arcade version, you get to the end of level five, like I said, and you set back to the beginning to get the final thing that you need, and then you go all the way back through the game. What a nightmare that is to, to do. What yeah. torture. Can yeah. you imagine that? And no. this is not like this is an easy game. I mean, that's five no. levels of the really difficult torture. To get to the end of that and then to be sent back to the beginning again, it's like, ah, ah, ah. Ah, uh, that's what you have to do. Um, the C64 version ends at level five, so you don't have to go through all that sort of game again. I don't know, Ooh. is that a good thing or a bad thing? That means that this isn't the full version, but maybe it's saving you some pain, I don't know. It's a bit, is it a bit of a cheat to just make you go through levels one to five again, like twice? I don't know. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. The levels do lack the background art and details from the arcade. There's no way around that here. There's no parallax scrolling background with nicely drawn trees and such. No, that's not here. It's just black in the main on the C64. It's mostly the same all the way through as well. Slightly different at level three, and I'll come to that. But sadly, I think it does affect how the game feels. There's no way around that. Generally speaking, when you've just got black, plain black backgrounds and all foreground detail, it starts to make the game feel a bit weird. Um, the platforms and the levels on the C64, they don't look too bad. They're a facsimile of the arcade, toned down by resolutions and color limitations, obviously. But they do at least look like a version of the arcade, not like the Amstrad version. I do feel sorry for him when I saw that. I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> it's so crap. The elevator level is weirdly different on the C64 compared to the arcade. So when you get to level three, there's a level in the arcade where you go onto a platform, the platform kind of scrolls upwards. Hmm. And this is a this isn't a, a, a sort of a thing that you, you've seen quite a few games of this sort of type. So um, the Capcom games, a lot of them feature a lift and the lift takes you up and you have to fight your way across platforms. Loads of their fighting side-scrolling beat-em-ups do that. Loads of them have that kind of lift in it. So this is no different to that. And so in the arcade, you sort of stand on the platform, the platform raises, you sort of fight your way, and then 
as the sort of roof descends upon you, as it were, you have to sort of align to the gaps and sort of figure out where you need to be in the position-wise. Slightly different on the C64 because the elevator level is weird. So like I said, you're on, a, on the arcade, you're like a one long platform thing. On the C64, you're on a tiny little movable platform. I don't quite know the logic of why they chose to do it this way, but you do. So you're on a tiny little sort of pl- movable platform that you can move left and right when you're by running and avoiding things. I've no idea why they changed it to that. And I think actually it makes it more difficult. And it's, but I guess it was probably more difficult to implement because when it changes to that level three, it sort of feels a bit like a top-down shooter. So right, yeah, yeah. In, in its own kind of control logic. So I think that's probably the simplest way of implementing that. I, I don't imagine it's scrolling an entire platform upwards would have been an easy thing or a giant background down on the C64. I don't know. But you know, since there's not a lot of backgrounds in it, so most of the levels follow the same left to right format with the exception of level three. Mm-hmm. But that is the same as the arcade, in all fairness. The scrolling is generally smooth-ish. The view moves with your player, keeping you relatively central. On occasion, it does seem to jolt a little, which I noticed. And that seems to be more when you're jumping diagonally and you would kind of hit less, like an invisible scroll wall. So obviously there's a certain point in the, across the screen when if you hit that point, it knows to scroll the screen a bit more. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you can jump into that and kind of just sort of hit and then just drop straight down, which is a little bit weird to do that. Yeah. Not something you'll ever see in the arcade, but we are where we are. The sprites aren't too bad either. Enemies are versions of the arcades and even the resolution, you know, even with the reduction resolution, they do kind of look like what they're meant to be on the whole. So they look like the, a, a C64 version of the arcade sprites. I did notice some slowdown when some of the larger sprites appeared on the C64, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose it's an inevitability, really, in the way they've done it. But you'd think that by 1989, 1990, have we not, you know, we've not figured out multiplexes properly yet. Is it necessary to do it? I don't know. But anyway, but with end bosses, you do get a bit of that. And generally, this it kind of ran at the right pace generally. But at certain times, it just, I don't know. And maybe that, maybe that, no, it gave it that kind of inherited difficulty that these games kind of have. It makes a game that's already difficult quite m- more difficult, unnecessarily difficult, when you get slow down and things like that. The animation is a tad sparse on your player, though. A bit too framed for me. <laughs> that's one way of putting it, yeah. And it's just, it's sort of, you know, it sort of gives proceedings a bit of a robotic feel. The enemies have it too. And while it's not a deal breaker, you know, it's not a deal breaker, it does kind of add an unexpected kind of judder to things because it's just two frame, essentially. It just means that it just feels a bit robotic. The scrolling feels a bit robotic and jumping feels a bit robotic. And it just and also it affects response times. So I'll come to, come to that, but it does. It's not massively disrupting. Maybe it's to be expected, I don't know, but we're not a million miles from myth here, are we? And that had really well-engineered sprites animation and details. So I don't quite get, and it's also you know, loading full levels like this is so... I don't quite get why you couldn't have more than sort of fairly rudimentary animations on any of the animations of the characters in this. Mm -hmm. The screen play area is pretty big. It's about two thirds of the screen, I guess. The UI sits at the bottom, giving you score lives, current weapon, remaining time, and that indication of your current special weapon, which you need to sort of charge. Like I said, I found the space bar did it anyway, so I don't quite know if that was necessary, but that is straight out of the arcade. And some of the upgrades for things that you get, if you charge your weapon, one of them is like a shield that shoots out, there's one that's like where you get two versions of the player. There's one that's got like a fire thing that shoots out left, right. They're, they're straight out of the arcades. Your power upgrades are from the arcade. Mm-hmm. But they're a bit arbitrary and they don't seem to do much either. They don't really help, which is a bit odd. You know, that's they are what they are. The game generally feels smaller and more zoomed out than the arcade, which is the key problem with this, I think, or one of the key problems. It affects the way it plays and the way it feels. You're distanced a bit from everything. And like I said, it's not terrible, but if you scale everything out by a small factor, 
it just makes everything feel a bit emptier and a bit longer and a bit more a bit more journey time in there. And that's not necessarily a good thing if you haven't got the CPU power to fill the screen full of enemies, which this definitely doesn't do. Mm-hmm. So the game levels are loaded separately on the C64 which I can imagine it must be some kind of pain on tape. I don't know how that would work on tape. Uh, when I tried the tape version, it said when it got to the, when it loaded the game and it said, please flip the tape on side B and start from the beginning. I don't know, you know, what does that mean? I don't know. And I suppose it explains some of the cutbacks from the arcade. And again, in this version, you don't get the map progress animation between levels, which is a massive mistake. You need that because it sort of gives you an idea of, you know, it gives you that. Yeah. And it's, and it's something they put back in the Ghosts and Goblins version that they redid. They put that yeah. back in. So no, so there's, and if you're loading individual levels and loading things in, there is no reason why that shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. There's no reason whatsoever. So it's a bit odd. Um, but you don't get it in this one. And I think also if there's more memory for individual levels, maybe you've got a case for you know putting all of the game in. Then put the final level in. If you're loading yeah. them in, why would you just stop at five? I know. Yes, it's a pain to go back. You don't have to make them go back through all five levels again. But you could put final boss battle in if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. May as well be loading things in. I don't know. We may never know the answer to why that that was not the case. The levels also suffer from the same issue that Ghosts and Goblins had in that you can just pretty much walk through them. I know there's difficulty there, principally driven by the restart of where it starts you at the middle or the, or the beginning of the level. And hanging around in this game will often lead to your doom. But there is large expanses of nothing in this game. You're just walking. There's entire areas of level two and level four where you're just walking a bit like we did in Ghosts and Goblins. There was one level where you just walked across a bridge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and there was nothing. And there's a lot of that in this, which is odd because there's no real reason for it. The arcade is chock full of enemies. And I mean full. That's why it's so hard. It's, it's just full of them everywhere. Especially level three, when you're scrolling up, there is a whole ton of them. They're really challenging level. So C64 version, not quite the same in that respect. Like I said, it's it. what it does is it leads the game to be a little bit emptier than it should. So I don't know, make of that what you will. The other levels get pretty similar to each other as well. So walking to the right, climbing up ladders, jumping over things. There is variations of that, but it's also inconsistent variations. I would argue the graphics are actually better towards the beginning of this game. And as you get towards the end levels, level four and five, the graphics get kind of worse, Mm. Um, especially at level four, where you're kind of walking along these kind of demon tongue things. It's a bit naff. It doesn't look very good. And the bosses are a kind of a bit of an afterthought. You know, they're quite Capcom games are quite famous for their pixel painting in the arcades. And so you've got to at least try and create a simulacrum of those things in the C64. But as this game progresses, they get just less and less bothered about the graphics. And it doesn't seem to me like towards level four and five, they didn't really care. There's all of the fire and brimstone that are in those later levels is missing from the C64, which leaves them fairly empty looking and bland. Mm-hmm. A bit of a problem that. You're also missing the animation when Arthur loses his armor, which I think is a mistake. So touching an enemy just kind of instantly strips you to your pants, which, you know, okay. <laughs> but I found it quite annoying. You know, part of the way that you play and understand the game of Ghosts and Goblins and Ghouls and Ghosts is that if you touch an enemy, you kind of jump back and you, you know, yes, you've lost your armor, but it gives you that that kind of feedback. Without mm. that, with it just instantly strips you. It's a bit weird and yeah. annoying. You do get the death animation. So when you die, you do fire back as a skeleton. Okay, so why then, if you could include that, why couldn't you include it when you lost your armor? Mm-hmm. The controls can be a bit sluggish, I think. And I think with the two sort of two frame animations and the sluggish controls, that hampers the way you play this game. Because I found I found sometimes that it sort of um, it meant I got hung up on platforms or hung up behind objects. And when I tried to jump diagonally, it didn't just didn't seem to respond in the way I wanted it to. It wasn't quite reactive enough for me yes i've played the arcade a lot i mean it's it is one of my favorite arcades both 
Ghosts and Goblins and Ghouls and Ghosts. I love them in the arcades. But I think it's because I love the artwork. But at the same time, if you're going to create... The thing to do with these games is not make them more difficult. Right? So anything no. you add that makes these games more difficult is a pain in the ass because they're yeah. already pretty challenging. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, the full levels are there. Yeah, and an ending. It's not the same ending as the arcade, of course. The arcade's famous for its weird spelling mistake at the end. That if you ever played the arcade to the end, no, what's, con- what's it say? So, so, so it comes down. You get you, uh, you, you know, you uh, see Arthur and he meets his princess Prinprin. A soul returns to her body. They run in an embrace. And it says, "Congratulations." Ah, uh, right, okay. <laughs> oh, Congratulation. Um, yeah. So there's that you know classic error in there, but then you don't get any of that in C64. You just get a big page of text saying, "Well done, Arthur." And you know, blah 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 blah. You did well. Well done. Finish the game. Yeah, great. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I didn't have to beat a final boss. You didn't. But you know, like I said they don't look terrible, and there is a playable version of eighty-three percent of the game here, um, which isn't bad. I mean, it's not a bad game, and it is pretty fun to play. It's just all of those things. You know, all of those things I've said, they are there. But this is a C64 version of that arcade. It's never going to be that. And it's 83% of it. You know, it's okay. It's all right. It's playable. It's not. It's not crap. But it's just kind of uh, suffers the same problems that Ghosts and Goblins had, really, in many ways. Mm. The multiplexer malfunctions. There's not a lot in the levels. The backgrounds are missing. The arcade pixel painting isn't there. You know, it's a logical extension of that game. So they didn't do a lot to, to make it any better. The champion thing here, of course, is the astonishing Tim Fallen music. And in particular, the C64 version, of course, the main title theme. And this is the only version of the game that has that music because no other version does. Mm-hmm. It's utterly remarkable. I mean, genuinely remarkable. I think easily one of, if not the greatest C64 composition for a game ever created. I don't think there's an equal. I genuinely don't think there's an equal to this. Tim Follin, who is by nature a quite reserved and understated guy, stated that this is his favourite piece of music he ever made. And you can kind of hear why. I mean, it blows my mind that the play routine for this and all of Tim's music on the C64 was coded by Steve Ruddy. Tim never coded that himself ever. He just kind of directed Steve Ruddy to say what he wanted it to do. (laughs) She's mad. (laughs) And then put all that music in by mathematical notation, by hexadecimal. So you program that music in. That music isn't performed on a keyboard, recorded in some kind of MIDI. That's a guy putting in note for note, 40, 41, 4A, 4B, 41. That's like punch card programming. (laughs) Exactly. So to be able to turn that in your head from hexadecimal code into music of that staggering quality is astonishing. It's astonishing. There's no other word for it. I mean, I I don't know how you kind of do what they've done. You've got rain sounds, wind, realistic bell chimes, spooky pianos, harpsichords, ghosts, wolf howls, heartbeats, ghostly bangs, bumps, all weaved into a horror soundtrack. So perfectly fitting for a game of the type, it defies belief. It defies belief. In fact, I would argue that the soundtrack is too good for this game in every respect. The game doesn't do the sound justice. We've said that about loads, though, haven't we? We have, but at the same time, you know what? When the games, you know, when you listen to this music, you just get a kind of a wobbly, wobbly ghost and go- ghouls and ghost writing. Yeah, yeah. And and what you're hearing is most amazing soundtrack for a C64 game. I think you could really hear for something like this, and it's so underplayed and so understated. You could even miss it. I mean, you could just press the fire button and never even bother listening to the whole thing. It is mind-blowing so the first level you know and even in the in-game music the first level has a it's a bit odd the way they've done the in-game music as well the first level has a unique piece of music which is excellent very different to the arcade the second level is the same as the arcade third level different from the arcade fourth level same as the arcade fifth different i don't know what whether that was the plan why they've done it that way ghouls and ghost music is done by a very famous composer 
of that kind of music. And if you listen to the, you know, and all that, it's very of its type. The C64 version of this music and other versions of this game have variations of the music, but not that opening music. It's mind-blowing. And like I said, there's even an alternative version listed in the SID database for Tim Follin that's equally amazing and from the other versions as well. So he did compose that for the C64, but just didn't bother using it because he created this it's hard to describe the opening theme of Ghouls and Ghosts. I mean, I know I'm, I'm go sort of, you know, I'm being very effusive about it, but it has to be heard to be believed. You'll listen to that and you'll you'll think to yourself, this is a three-channel analog SID chip creating mm. some sounds that you just never thought it could do. I don't I even know how to make an analog SID chip or a sound chip, make a wolf howl. I don't know how you even begin with that. Oh, great. You knew I'd lived. <laughs> I wish I knew. So it's, that's all excellently put together, like I said. and. So the opening theme, very special. It's a reminder of the SID chip is very, a very capable sound synthesizer in its own right. You're reminded of that. The rest mm-hmm. of the game, it's okay. It's okay. It's an all right version of the arcade. Like we said about Ghosts and Goblins, it's, it's all right. It's a playable version of the arcade. And in, the, in, the, in keeping with the kind of way of kind of trying to look at these things now, it's about the best you're going to get. If you had a Commodore 64 and you wanted to play Ghouls and Ghosts, this version was all right. And bonuses, you had an amazing soundtrack to listen to at the same time. That's not a bad package of things to go for. Yes, it has its problems. Yes, it's not all there and all the rest of it, but it's about as good as it's going to get. That said, you know, somebody had to come along and make a better version of Ghosts and Goblins, so maybe there was little things they could have done. But that said, at the time, wasn't so bad. Now, did it deserve 96%? I'd have given it, I don't know if I'd have given it gold medal. I don't know that it's really pushing the boat out on top of, you know, is it better than Ghosts and Goblins? I don't know. The music is, but is the is anything else? It's kind of the same problems, really. So I don't know that I'd have given it a gold medal. I don't know that I'd have given it 96%. But it's not a bad version of Ghouls and Ghosts. It's certainly not the worst version of Ghouls and Ghosts. And like, like I said, you've got that amazing Tim Follin score there, which I think probably going to be a contender when we come to the end of this year's awards for something. <laughs> but we'll see how it works out. But what about you? you know, I've, I've talked about Ghouls and Ghosts for a while. What about you? The music is ace. I'll give it that. It's proper ace. Proper, proper yeah. ace. Really and Tim Follin's done another incredible job. He makes the Sid not like we've said about some of his compositions before. He makes the Sid not sound like the Sid. No, exactly so right. This, this, a lot of Sid tunes sound like the Sid. And you spot him, but this doesn't. It sounds like a bloody harpsichord. It does. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. It's like oh, so, it. I don't either. It's very, very clever. But you know, you've said enough about the music, and, and I'm not going to disagree with any of that. However, the game though, it's an unfair thing. It's an unfair thing. This game, the, the arcade game, is fair in the fact that it's just bloody hard. But it, it it sticks to its things. This has shonky collision detection and likes and it likes a lot of the atmosphere and fun of the arcade. It's not a terrible conversion, but I think it's been hacked down so much with twitchy animation and unfair decisions yep. that I don't like. You've got the, the main the main one is right near the beginning, right? You start off and you you have enemies that walk in the grass. So the, the, you have the level and there's a bit of grass and they walk in the grass. But when mm. you jump, you land on top of the grass, which means when you fire your when you're shooting at them, your lance goes over their heads. Yes, you've got to crouch, yeah. But you shouldn't have to. That's stupid. No. Because you start no. in the grass with them and you're just firing at them. But as soon as you jump, you land and you, or you go into a gravestone and you drop down, you're on top of the grass. So the collision detection is yeah. giving you two different things, which then means it's now stop-start because, like you said, you can't just run and fire. You have to stop, duck and fire to shoot them. That's a yeah. pain in the ass, And shouldn't be there. It's just that's – why is there a collision on top of the grass? Yeah. I don't know. Why or why just not have everything walk on top of the grass? So bug the shit at me, that did. Um yeah. so the the difficulty as you mentioned in passing in firing weapons upwards. There's the bit where you get to the tree of birds in the first level. Yep. And yep. you need to yep. be able to shoot upwards 
yes, you to do. take them out. I played the arcade game and I just killed them in seconds. In here, it's like there's that one low bird just near the beginning where you can't shoot it because you, you can't reliably, because your jump will hit it. So, no. Does your lack of space under guillotines means even the ones on the thing is you can't jump under them, you can't jump onto the platform where it is because you're they're too short, so your jump just hits the guillotine, even when it's fully open. That's broken. So, no. And these are all just in the, like the first half of the first level. These are elements that will just start putting you off. So... All these elements mean the game is way too hard, way too hard. And you just and what it becomes is like, oh, you don't go up there because you can't go up there. You just go down here and you walk that, and it's just a rope yeah. route through. This pass, like the, the game has two paths open to you, but it doesn't. It has one in this version, which is a pain in the ass. So within a couple of goes on the arcade version, I, I completed, just I nearly completed the first level. So... Yeah. Just playing it, just normal, going back to it, went, yeah, I know what I'm doing. So running through it, got up the got up the slopes, got to the first boss, nearly completed it my first go. But I never got to the first boss in this with my armor on. So I stood no chance. I'm like, this is just no and you then you're back to begin back to before those the flying the equivalent of the flying pigs from the first game, the whirly sort of dervish things. And they have terrible slowdown on them, so it's a nightmare at that bit. Oh, whatever. I think it's probably the it's probably but like you said, it's probably the best they could do with this. But then again, is it? Like you said, we had myth. We had myth yeah. last week. And we've also had things like, you know, Sacred Arm of Antiriad. It's not that dissimilar not really, in, no. in the grand no. scheme of things. I mean, I know that was flick screen, but in the grand scheme of things, we've had games that do this thing and do it without the twitchy two-frame jitterbug thing that this got going on. I don't know. And I think it's just, it's tuned. So it, what they've got here is impressive. It's a representative of the arcade game, but it's tuned to be nasty to the player. Ghosts and Goblins, I went back and had a go on Ghosts and Goblins. I mean, that's piss easy compared to this. It always was. It was yeah. The C64 version is dead easy. It was not in my mind. And so I, I preferred Ghosts and Goblins to this. Um, even though we knocked Ghosts and Goblins, I think it's a better game. It plays better than this because I think this is there's, there's too many elements of this Maybe. that work against you, which I didn't like. And I thought it was quite ugly in terms of the visuals. Yeah, I, no argument there. No argument. And there. like I said, we've had myth. This could have been better looking. They could have done something decent in terms of the pixel art. I know they've got to replicate the arcade game, but you've got that arcade game to replicate. It's not like you haven't got a good source palette to do some good pixel art. You've got yeah. Ghost Ghouls and Ghosts, which looks amazing. Gold medal, my ass. Um, never, never. The biggest sin about this, though, is not the ninety-six percent it got for overall. It's the fact the music only got ninety-eight. Yeah, stupid. <laughs> or the sound, or sound only got ninety-eight. It's a, it's a ninety-nine all day long, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's yeah. a ninety, it's a ninety-nine with a flake in it. That's how good this yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, true. Even the sound effects are pretty good in the game when you play it. Yeah, so. it is the one saving, massively saving grace of this is you would boot this up to listen to that theme tune and also yeah. the main tune. But how many times did you hear the beginning of level one music? <laughs> how oh, many so times? Many. <laughs> it's just like, oh, not this bit again. <laughs> but it's 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 not 96%. It's, uh, it's not. It's really not. It's an okay version of the, the arcade game, but I think there's – mistakes actually in how they've ported it to make it that just are mm-hmm. problematic in themselves that d- d- just actually irrespective of you think well it's the best they could do it's like they could do better i'm pretty sure because we've had better i agree i don't think it's the best they could do i think it's it's like it's the best you're going to get yeah but i think you i think you're right the problem like we like like i said before and like you've said the problem here is you know it's already a challenging game don't make it more challenging with stupid decisions along the way the game's known for being crazy difficult Mm. And yes, you didn't make them play the entire game twice, which is really terrible. But at the same time, <laughs> you may as well have done, right? Yeah, because you're going to play it a thousand times as you get past that first yeah. boss. It's just ridiculous. I mean, I can understand why they may not have had that last level in because I'm well aware that back in the time they would get given the arcade game with no documentation. It's quite possible that they never got through it twice. <laughs> yes, but yeah, that's 
to actually see imagine. that level six. And so they just went, oh, bugger this. We'll just put, nobody's ever going to see it. Yeah, <laughs> and they true, just put man. the first five levels in. So maybe that's that's why. I can I could understand that actually being the case. So I can understand that Capcom just went, here you go, create it. And they were just yeah. out of the arcade and it was like, right, someone play it through. And then it got to the end of level five and they went, I've got to do it again. Oh, five levels, yeah. that's all we're doing. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The issues of this are that you need to create a version of this that is better than Ghosts and Goblins. And they just kind of didn't. I mean, it's mm. okay, but it's just, no, arguably more of the same with the same problems. Yes, the levels might be full length, but there's not much in them. And so you're just kind of tootling along at two frames animation, scooting along. And yes, there is the collections of the weapons and yes, there is upgrades and there's all of those things, but they're not particularly well presented. They're well presented in the arcade because you can see you're wearing the gold armor. You can see you've got more powerful weapons. This It becomes obvious that you've, you've upgraded. C64 version lacks that kind of view. Yeah. So, so it doesn't have the gold armor and there's just there's just things that are missing that are kind of, the kind of keys to making, like I said, just having backgrounds with nothing in, that's what kind of kills it immediately. You're like, okay, I know it's a limitation, but it just makes the game feel empty. You know, it needs that kind of thing. And we've seen games that have got really colorful backgrounds before, so it's not like it can't be done. Um, mm. A little bit more attention to that, a little bit less attention to getting the game out of the, onto the shelves, maybe. is you know, and It is US gold at the end of the day, and, you know, they're famous for that, aren't they? We so. don't know how much time they had to work on all these things. So I get it. You know, these no. probably things counted against them, like I said, Lots of stuff like that, and like you said as well, the 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 lack of the bounce back upon death, I think, is a big omission because it's incredibly important player feedback. You've been hit, yes. You bounce back. I, there were numerous times I'd, I was like running along and I didn't realize I got hit. I'm like, oh, where did my armor go? <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's ghouls and ghosts. It ain't a gold medal. It's just not. no, 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 no. It's not. The last gold medal we had was probably Turbo Outrun, was it? Turbo Outrun yeah. again. Shouldn't have been, but hey ho, what do we know? Mm, we went yeah. right back in the day. There you go. That's your first game, Ghouls and Ghosts. Let's walk backwards, sliding on our feet into our next game with a bit of a hee-hee. <laughs> um, oh, so <laughs> this is Moonwalker. <laughs> it, it is, yeah. It's for £9.99. So, okay. Right, what what to say about Moonwalker? Okay, I mean, it's the game of the film that was released in 1988. So this is the, a Michael Jackson vehicle. It starred Michael Jackson, and we know there are problems with Michael Jackson. We're just going to have to put them to one side for the period of this review, okay? Because we've got to review yeah. the game. So it's just put them to one side, whatever your personal feelings are about Jacko, just put them aside and just let's talk about this game. Yeah, we'll just focus on the game. Okay. It starred Michael Jackson. It was a weird hybrid, the film of story and videos for songs from his album Bad. I've actually never watched it. I've never seen it. Have you ever seen it? Yeah, I have watched it. Yeah. I have never watched it. I've never really been tempted to either. And I'm probably... It's really, really, really crap. Yeah, I'm probably... I'm, I'm even less likely to be tempted to watch it these days. But I, So I cannot attest to just how closely this game follows the plot of the film because I just don't know anything about it. What I read about it is like there's not much plot to actually follow, but hey ho. What I can tell you is that this was released by US Gold again for £9.99 and as I said, was developed by Emerald Software. You remember them. Emerald Software, Graham. They brought us such gems as 1989's licensed catastrophe winner, The Running Man. Do you remember that? Do you remember The Running Man? Yes, I do. Yes, unfortunately. Uh, They also did the awesome conversion of Vigilante. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's Emerald Software. But this in mind, my expectations, my expectations were not set to Thriller, 
They were more set to bad. There you go. <laughs> Very good. The game itself Very is a multi-part adventure that sees you making your way through four stages. And the plot is something about Michael Jackson facing off against Mr. Big. I think that's something from the, the film as well. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not going to watch it. Who cares? Who that is, what the reason for this Jacko versus Big beef is, I don't know, nor do I care. As for the sections nope. themselves, I will let the instructions explain the premise to you. Okay. So level one, Moonwalker. There are four different area settings in the film studios where there are seven parts of a rabbit costume which need to be collected by Michael so as he can disguise himself from his fans. C64, Atari ST, Amiga and IBM PC users have to collect parts of the rabbit suit in order. That's just plain mean. I don't know why we get so <laughs> singled out like that. Um, so you have to watch the radar for some flashing hints as to their location. Avoid at all costs Granny and her grandson, the cowboys on horseback, the Biff brothers, and the Japanese tourists, as they will take one of your coveted platinum discs. Once you've collected the complete rabbit suit and the four special items, you must find the waiting motorbike to escape to Michaelsville. <laughs> Level two is Michaelsville. Unfortunately, Mr. Big has seen through your disguise and tipped off your fans too. Roadblocks have been set up which divide the town into sections. Bright shining orbs have to be collected whilst you're on your motorbike to transform you into a glittering Stratus sports car able to leap the barriers. I would have thought a motorbike would have been better to jump over stuff, but what do I know? This effect <laughs> only lasts for 10 seconds, though, so choose your path with care. If you fail to make it, you'll need to f a fresh set of orbs. As you zoom around the streets, Mr. Big's drug hordes, went dark, can be destroyed by <laughs> running over them. And when you do run over them, you just splat. Ugh. Occasionally, you can also run over a trooper before he gets ahead of you. If you get far enough, then it's only a jet ski ride from freedom. That is, if the Biff brothers don't get you. Level three is Club 30. So you think you're safe in Club 30. Not for long, as Mr. Big has discovered your hideout and means to dispose of you smartly. Trooper guards suddenly appear at windows and doors, but so do the children. So be careful. Without your disguise, a gun and ammunition must be found so you can tackle Mr. Big's task force. Act swiftly to guide the children to safety. Whatever. Weird. Level four is the arena. Mr. Big has kidnapped Katie. Who's Katie? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> she came along with Malone from The Untouchables, I think. No one mentions them. To lure you to his lair for what must surely be the final confrontation. Surely must be. Troopers and stormtroopers are gathered together to finish you off. What's the difference between troopers and stormtroopers? Uh, uh, to finish you off with their powerful <laughs> laser guns. Take out each foe as they appear, but beware the mighty plasma cannon that Mr. Big has installed as you need to destroy it before it destroys you. Can you survive to take the children to safety? I'm getting the vibe. Uh, this, <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting the vibe that this game... And the film is perhaps about Michael Jackson helping children to stay safety away from the clutches of Mr. Big. I'm not going to say anything further about that. Just leave it there. I'm not going to talk about the game. I'm just going <laughs> to move on. Move along. Move along. There's nothing to see here. The title screen's not too bad, I guess. It's not too bad. I've seen worse. It's got a vertical scrolling, a track sequence that has the logo and credits and high score table going up and down and up and down. There's also a short loop of bad, the song. <sighs> it's not it's, it's, it's not. It's not bad. It is. Okay, it's, it's, it's a bit shrill. It's, <laughs> it's a bit, crap. It's a bit on the shrill side, and the loop is a bit short. So you, so you want to get to the game quickly. So you press the fire button, and the first level loads up. After an odd interstitial loading screen showing a whole load of random crap, I had no idea what I was looking at. We get to the game itself. This is a top-down maze affair where you control Michael as he searches for the parts of the rabbit suit and the four special items in order to escape this hell. Controls a simple eight-way movement and holding fire makes you sprint for a short time. How long that time is, is anyone's guess. The screen is split with the game window taking up the top two-thirds of the screen and the UI is at the bottom. In the UI, we've got the black rectangle showing some green and yellow dots. 
The green dots are the objects you must find about the maze, and one of these will be flashing to indicate this is the next one to get. Remember, we've got to get them in order because we're playing the C64 version. Can't just pick them up willy-nilly for reasons unexplained to anyone. The yellow <laughs> dots are patrolling enemies, which must be avoided. Next to this is a disc with your number of lives next to it. Then there's a timer and your score. On the right of the UI, we have an image of Michael from Smooth Criminal, looking going by what he's wearing as he's laying down. And as you collect the various parts of the bunny suit, his clothes change to indicate what you've collected, along with the four objects you need to collect, which are underneath this image. So as you, at one point, there's Michael Jackson laying there in rabbit trousers with the jacket and suit on from, from Smooth Criminal. Yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. I don't know what the hell I was going on at one point. I was like, what acid trip is this? Am I playing this? If you collect them all, then it's on to stage two. Just a really annoying bit. I'll come to it a bit, actually. If you collect them all, then it's on to stage two, which, after an interstitial of Michael in a rabbit suit on a mo- motorbike, <laughs> it's another sentence I didn't <laughs> expect to say today, it's the same kind of view. So we've got a top-down view. Only here you control Michael in his bunny suit, driving around a cordoned-off part of Michaelsville, picking up yellow diamonds in order to cha- change your bike into a car to jump over barriers to progress. That's it. The UI is pretty much the same, with the black rectangles showing things to collect and enemies, number of lives, timer, and score. And then there's an image of the which car you're in. There's supposedly three to choose from. So it flips to the... Oh, yeah, because as you drive about, you need to collect 10 of the diamonds to transform and jump the barriers. So then it flicks on the bike to the car. Um, and should you make it through, you change into the jet ski and you've got to sort of there's another little maze in the water. And if you get out of that, you proceed on to level three. Now, this part transforms the game into a kind of Robocop knockoff, weirdly. It's strange. <laughs> it does, yeah. The top three quarters of the screen, although actually this bit actually controls better than what Robocop did because it did what we said to do, which was give us a crosshair. So that was actually better. The top three quarters of the screen now show the interior of Club 30. You control Michael and what we have is a left to right walk and shoot game a la Robocop and all those kind of things. The UI shows your energy and lives and score. Then whether you have found the machine gun or not and the number of clips you have left and finally the number of enemies. You've got to shoot 30 of them. You run along a 2D plane at the bottom of the game window and you can jump by pressing up and enemies will pop up from the various windows. Sometimes they'll pop up really slowly and be holding a child and you don't shoot those ones. Just shoot the ones that are trying to shoot you. Because when and to, the way to shoot is you stand, you press the fire and kind of like cabal, I guess, it sort of locks you in place and then you move across there about to shoot them. So it's mm. kind of a cross between Robocop and Cabal in a sense. So you move your crosshair and it shoots them. They don't automatically hit you as well, which is actually quite a nice touch, but a tra- cause what they hit is like as a trail of bullets hit the floor. We saw something similar way, way back in the train. So there's, there's elements of this which are not so bad. They move along the floor towards you, and so it gives you time to train your sights on them and take them out. Should you manage to shoot all 30 enemies, then it's on to the final stage. Now here, you've got a single-screen shooter where Michael is now in a massive mech, or you are a massive <laughs> mech. I don't know. Yeah, he transforms. He yeah, just transforms into a massive mech, yeah. And so you're just stood in the centre of the screen, this kind of isometric view. Enemies will come from doorways to the left and right, as I said, in sort of the, at the top from this isometric angles, and you've got to just shoot everything. Uh, every now and again, a big sort of purple... Laser ray will pop in from the top right, and you ought to blow that up as well. Just move the cursor around and shoot as much as you can. That's all there is to this. The UI at the bottom shows your lives, the amount of weapon we left. It's not clear what these weapons are. They're just lasers or some description. I don't know. There's your score and your health. Should you manage to destroy all the enemies, Michael or the Mech Michael or Michael Mech or Jackson Mech, whatever it is, he transforms into a spaceship, which sounds like a car thing, and then flies away, and that's your lot, and that's it. You're done. So is it any good? Well, not really. <laughs> but I will say, weirdly, that I did actually enjoy this more than I enjoyed either Batman or The Untouchables. <laughs> because what? I did. 
I didn't like either of those two for any reasons. This was like, there are parts of this that I was like, once I got the hang of it, I was like, this is, it's bland and a bit banal and a bit, bit rubbish, but there's something that's just, I don't know. The main thing is it's not tuned for a difficulty level from hell. It's actually quite easy. Oh, yeah, true. So it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a, if anything, it's a tad too easy because once you learn the mazes of the first couple of levels, they're quite easy to navigate. Enemies are quite easy to get around. You just it's a bit boring, but it's not yeah. it's not nasty like that horrible opening sequence of the Untouchables and the boring bat swinging and stuff like that. You know the dullness of that. So once you get through those levels, it's actually quite easy to nip around and whatever and to navigate. It's just boring. Level three is dead simple. When you realize that if you go very slowly, reveal one window at a time, then just have your cursor over that side, the enemy will appear and you can just shoot them. You only got to shoot 30. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to get to the end of the level. You've just got to knock out 30 enemies and then you progress. So again, really simple when you actually realize this. And you can get them down to zero in no time. Once I figured that, the first time I did it, I was running and they were getting loads of them were popping up and killing me. Second time I did it, I was just it edged my way away and along and one will pop up and they won't do what they do in RoboCop, whereas the you know in RoboCop like you shoot the enemies in the windows and then another enemy pops up and then another enemy pops up, and they're just constantly in the window. Mm. This one they won't keep coming. They'll just be like you have to sort of bring more windows in for more to pop up. That's quite okay. I like you know for a design point of view, it's like, that's better. And so that maybe it's too easy. The visual you know, and the last level it took me a couple of tries, but then I, I, I did it and I was flying away. So I complete I actually completed this game. Um, I played all the way through it. No cheats. Mm-hmm anything i managed it all the way through so maybe it's too easy i don't know the visual range from a fairly bland and gray opening couple of levels i mean i thought the third level graphics were okay there's a well animated and recognizable michael jackson he looks he looks quite looks the part and he's he looks all right and some decent animation he's jumping and stuff you can jump mm-hmm. on the tables the enemies in the windows are rubbish though they're rubbish <laughs> they're just these weird ghost-like things they're really odd the last level's not too bad either the animation as you turn into a spaceship is pretty decent as you sort of float and turn away and fly off. All right. The tunes throughout, they're recognizable Jackson tunes. They're not particularly great versions of them, and they'll annoy you really quickly because they're pretty shrill and short. They're various different tunes and stuff. In fact, part of the instructions just has a big section on Michael Jackson's discography. Of course it does. <laughs> of course it does. But, you know, it's 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 a vehicle for Michael Jackson, so that's what it is. The parts of this all work as intended. They're a bit easy. So you probably won't get much challenge here, so you probably feel a bit ripped off for a tenor. But at least they're not as annoying, as I said, as other film towns we've seen recently. I know saying this is the best we've seen from Emerald Software so far, it's not saying much when it's up against Vigilante and The Running Man, but it is the best we've seen from him. For a game about Michael Jackson, it's a bit on the bland. The weird thing is, that's it. For a game about Michael Jackson, it's a bit on the bland and dull side. The one thing you'd never said about Michael Jackson back then was he was bland and dull. You wouldn't. So a quirky thing, um, especially with those interstitial screens, but not as terrible as I feared it might be. I was expecting terrible things from this. It got about 60%. I think I may be biased because of some of the rubbish we've seen recently. I didn't mind this on the whole. Weirdly, I just didn't mind it. I think because I could just play through it. It's got problematic content in the here and now, obviously. I've purposely avoided discussing that because that's a whole other topic. But in playing of the game, it's nothing special, but this, it's, this is just mediocrely average for me. And that's where I, and I, I thought it's not damning, but it's not dreadful. You know, there were parts that I actually, eh, it's all right. And, and that's what I thought about it. Moonwalker, who thought of that? What about you? I thought it was fucking rubbish. <laughs> I, knew I think you you're would. smoking. You are smoking <laughs> weed. You are high. Are you high? Did you play this when you were high? Are you mad? No. This is fucking rubbish. It's crap. <laughs> it's not. Level one: a boring walk around a maze with a useless map of dots. I'm not disputing any of that. Graphically inept and empty, with the most annoying fucking music <laughs> I've heard in a long time. And not even all of the music. Not even all of the song. Just the bit that's annoying. Terrible. Level two, more of the same, but on a bike. Yeah. You can run people over, though, and squish them. I'm not even sure what the music was at that point. It was just 
terrible. Level three, badly realised scroll and run game with the crappiest version of Smooth Criminal for music that you could possibly imagine. It won't I mean, it, it's not bad. It's crap. <laughs> Graphics, laughable. I actually lolled. I rolled around laughing when he twitched and funked his way down the staircases. It's just, it's, it's rubbish. It's utterly rubbish. Level four. He walks into a room and becomes a rotating robot that targets enemies with a terrible version of The Way You Make Me Feel, which isn't even the right music for that kind of level. No, it's, it's not. just utterly, utterly awful. This is a piece of shit game based around, <laughs> but you know what? What else could they do? Why didn't they do a version of the arcade? Why is this know. not the arcade? Why is this not the Moonwalker arcade? Why? <laughs> why, why? There's an arcade game. Just do that. It's not great, but it's better than this. It's just rubbish. Crazy concepts and the bonkers ideas of a mad person with a blank checkbook and the you know, the ability to just make what I say doesn't make for anything other than this nonsense. Badly made, badly realized, and utterly crap versions of the Michael Jackson songs, which is the most unforgivable thing of all. If for any other reason you would play this, it might be because they had Sid versions, good versions of Michael Jackson music. Oh, if I was you never like expecting kind of good versions of the music. I was never expecting but it, that. But it, but it should have. Yeah, That's but I wasn't expecting it. It's a musician. This is a game based around a musician. True. This isn't some, you know, this isn't based around some science fiction dreamlike object. This is a performing musician of a sort, a singer performer. And this is a game based around his laughable ideas, but that's principally what it is. If you can't get the audio right, you're fucked from the beginning. <laughs> And they didn't. So this game was awful. 60% dream on. Yeah, this I don't think it's 30s. that. Maybe not even that. This is oh, this is no step forward for this development company. This is just more of the same rubbish. Nah, it's better than the other two. It's at least you can play it and control it. You can't even control the running man. So. I think I don't think that's I don't think that's a rationale for me. The saying that game making the game easy to play and easy to win doesn't make it a good game. It just means it's just, they just couldn't be bothered to make it difficult. I don't know. I think it's awful. Um, £10 for this. Go and buy the music. Go and buy the record, the CD at the time. Go and do that and listen to it. You get far more from that. I feel well ripped off if you bought this yeah, for but a should, but that's the point. You, but you shouldn't. And, but the problem is they know there's enough Michael Jackson fans at that time. Obviously, yeah, you know, exactly. hindsight and the modern lenses. Let's not talk about that. But <laughs> it's just, it's laughable. It's just exploiting Michael Jackson fans. The same way as Running Man and all the other crap were exploiting the fans of those things. Okay, fine. Maybe their fans are ripe for exploitation. They're kids at the end of the day, really, aren't they? But at the same time, this is just rubbish. Just what I, what I can't, I couldn't understand. And taking this game aside and how I feel about it, yeah, of course, you, you might like the, just the playability. That's fine. But taking that aside, why didn't they just make the arcade? I don't get it. I don't think I've ever played the arcade, if I'm, if I'm honest. Well, the third level looks a bit like the arcade. There's, the Michael Jackson sprite that's in that level three looks a bit like the arcade. You know, it's more of an right, isometric yeah. for the arcade, but it's, it's, it looks like it. And when that's what I was expecting. I was expecting the version of an arcade. Why wouldn't I be expecting that? It's the same name of the game. It's right. the same exact name. It's called Moonwalker. It's got Michael Jackson in it. He plays the smooth criminal kind of white suit. He's firing his hat at people. I mean, the game's a nonsensical piece of gibberish crazy, but so is this. But I don't get the walking around getting on a motorbike, driving around parts. You know, I, I had horrible flashbacks of that Broad Street game. Remember what we played really early on? <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Give my regards to Broad Street. I had flashbacks to that piece of shit. <laughs> and Miami Vice. And I was like, no, no. As soon as I see top-down maps and, and things like that, I'm like, no, no. So I, I, I didn't enjoy my time with it at all. I thought it was awful. And that's not even including you know, all of the late, all of the Michael Jackson crazy that comes later and everything else. This is just a laughable piece of rubbish game. And I th I'm just, you know, you're being far more generous to it. Now, that's fair enough. If you enjoyed your time with it, that's what games are about, right? 
I just I couldn't I couldn't get into it. I thought it was awful. That music bored its way into my mind. It's not the only piece of music that did that for this episode, but that one in particular, yeah. goodness me. I think the thing was was that I think I came in with such low expectations based on who made it and what I was actually expecting from this, that it it, surpa- it was higher than those expectations were set at. So when you go in with something expecting crap and it's like, it's not quite as crap as I thought, you're going to be like, well, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's like some of the music, you would go and you'll hate this. I was like, well, probably will, but it's not as bad as I thought. It's just, it's one of them things. There we go. <laughs> Michael Jackson's Moon- <laughs> Moonwalker. It ain't very good. I'm not saying it's very good. I'm just saying that I probably enjoyed it more than I expected to, which wasn't going to be a lot. But it is what it is. There we go. Moonwalker. It ain't great. Don't 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 think I think it's great. It's just not as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Let's move on. We've still got one game this this part. And Graham, that's over to you to tell us, or tr- well, you can try and tell us. <laughs> God's sake, <laughs> what it's like to be wicked. This is published by Electric Dreams. Came from some dreams. <laughs> it was coded by Philip Norris. He did Stiflip and Cohen Zoids. Games that made mm. sense. Good old-fashioned sense. <laughs> um, graphics are by Jason Redman. I think this is the only game he did. The musician's Richard Joseph, the late Richard Joseph, obviously. Yeah. What a weird and confusing thing this really is. <laughs> um, I mean, goodness me. The instructions for this are out and out wild. I mean, it's just wild. From the from the, When it says, from the words on the instructions that says how to play Wicked, and the next line is the eye of infinity. Um, it says the all-seeing eye looks on as you select your battleground against evil in the 12 great constellations of the universe, the zodiac star signs. Yeah, <laughs> Settle in. For, yeah, get, get yourself settled in. Get the bongs out for this one, I think. Initially, you can choose from any of the first three constellations. Move the cursor with the joystick and press the trigger. If you win a constellation, you are then able to play up to three levels higher three levels higher being the operative term there by this point, <laughs> and can select a challenge of appropriate difficulty and matching reward if you are successful. What a complicated way of saying you just do better and you'll go further up the levels. Woo, yep. Then you get description of the constellation map. After selecting a constellation on the eye screen, oh God, a map of it unrolls, showing all of the stars with three highlighted. You must purge these three of evil to complete the constellation and save the universe from the creeping infestation of darkness. Point to a star with the dagger and press the trigger. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You get the, that description of the play screen. I'll come back to the, the play screen part because then you get this <laughs> fairly in-depth instructions for this. I'm not going to go through all of them. Not only is there instructions for this, but then when you scroll further into the instructions themselves, there's a picture of Paul Norris and Rupert Bowwater of Binary Revision, who clearly in that picture look high already. As <laughs> I saw he said. That it made me laugh. <laughs> and then it's, there's an entire chapter of the instructions called The Calling. And then there's a, it, I can't even explain what that is. No, I read it and was like, I felt dumb. It's chapters of pure craziness. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to read the very first paragraph. I'm not going to go through it all. I would advise anyone to just go and check it out yourself. But the first paragraph says, Pure evil, silent and cunning, is creeping into the distant worlds poisoning the soul of all that lives. Even as I speak, death's dream kingdom is sent against us through portals of destruction, the seething, screaming hordes from pandemonium. And that's just how it begins. And you thought myth had levels of crazy. (laughs) What all of this is, the the final line of the the final paragraph, sorry, of this, out out of all of that, I'm not going to go through it all, but after the final paragraph is, I shall not deceive thee. The task I call on thee to do in the name of the sun god, Lord of Light, is both magnificent and terrifying. 
If thou dost fail, then the beast will take thy soul forever. But if thou canst succeed, thou shalt take thy place in the palace of the shining thrones. And from that day unto eternity, the glory of the world be thine. Noble warrior, this is thy call to battle. If you're writing in these and thys, you are high as a kite. <laughs> Let me tell you, you are on another realm of high. You have probably, you know, you're, you know, you, you, this is edibles on a new level. Crazy. <laughs> so go and read that. I'm not going to read, see, read it out. There's a lot, but two pages of that craziness, and it is literally gibberish. And it's describing loads and loads of stuff that are unnecessary, right? For what this is, it, yeah. This is basically a kind of puzzle shoot 'em up, right? You know, at its heart. Yes, yeah. it's, uh, it's it's okay, but very unusual. Okay, so that expansive and clearly weed fueled instructions kind of weave all sorts of fantasy signs of the zodiac and blah 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 and all the rest of it. The game essentially boils down to having st- to stop bodies from entering the universe via portals of you know in the stars. You know, that that's it. Not dissimilar in a way to you no. Know, Reminded me of mutants a bit. The, the, oh, the in game levels of mutants, you know, with growths and things to shoot and things like that. So that's the plan. So choose one of the signs of the zodiac from the screens. Choose view the constellation. Select one of the three stars, and then you will enter this absolute madness. Here you will see various color blobs in clusters. A large sun face in the middle that changes from grumpy to sunny. On the left is your UI, and Christ only knows what that's trying to tell you. The manual said it as a snake bird dial. The white arrow is the player versus guardian indicator. And the red arrow is time left. I have no idea what on earth that means in the context of this game. None. No. Whatsoever. You control a flaming star with your joystick, which is what you've been transported into, I think. And fly around wildly shooting at blue blobs to turn them orange. And also shooting and avoiding the endless appearing enemies that are trying to stop you. The blobs grow. And you need to stop that. And also plant seeds near the blue blobs to stop the portals from opening and close them. <laughs> what? <laughs> exactly. I, 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 that's the best I can describe this game. It is literally visual madness. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just starts and you're like, what the hell is going on? So, for, okay, let, I'm going to say this. There's nice production to this and there is some slick programming in it. I don't doubt that. The game feels like a Jeff Minter game. It has, it's, Minter, mm. it's got Minter written all over this. It's not a Jeff Minter game, but it may as well be. Utterly bewildering on the eyes and senses and really hard to get into because of that. If that doesn't define Jeff Minter games, I don't know what else does. I mean, it looks nice. There's some nice graphics in here. There's some nice shading. There's some nice sound too. You know, it's, it's, it's got all that. The selection screens are nicely realized with some nice effects in there. There's that scrolling. I see a few games now have realized you can do that nice scroll opening, scroll closing effect with the little blurry things on the, you know, we saw it, we saw it in that game last episode. Now, a few couple Altered of games. Beast, yeah, yeah, yeah. They've, they've adopted the altered beast method of scroll of unscrolling a paper. Um, all right, it's there and it looks all right. And then playing the game just feels completely frantic. And that's okay, you know, but it just feels a bit much. There's so much moving, growing, blobs changing colors, things appearing, happy suns, suns changing to grumpy faces, things flying around, attacking you all the time. There is so much going on. I don't, I, I, it just, it goes from crazy to insane in a sort of short rate. And you find yourself thinking, what the hell am I doing? And you also lose yourself in there. There's that much moving around. There's that much lighting up. There's that much on there that the colors kind of cut, because obviously there's a limited color part on the 64 and it gets, starts to blend. And so you start to lose your fieriness. Your, you know, you lose yourself in there very easily. And you think, where am, hang on, where am I? What am I yep. doing? Yeah. And you, yes, yes, you can shoot different directions. You control action with your joystick and you, sh- you can shoot different directions, but you'll lose yourself in there. And the only way you'll know it's you is because you're shooting in the direction you think you are. And you're probably not even where you think you are. I lost myself so many times. I was like, where the hell am I? <laughs> Bear in mind that you, you, what you're aiming to do is shoot at blobs to change their color 
to connect things to make sure that you can close down, you know, it, like I said, the weed had kicked in by the people who made this, and I'm sure it made perfect sense to them. But at this point, you think to yourself, am I shooting these things? I've got to shoot these blobs, but these things are taking me out. And then just more and more and more of that. This game is this across all the signs of the Zodiac. I mean, like, goodness me, like, what? So, like I said, it feels frantic. That's okay. But, and there's good use of color, I suppose. Although I would argue it's good use of color because it's colorful, but that's bad use of color because it means everything blends into the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it's different. Maybe that, maybe that's the thing. I was thinking, is it different? But it's just a shoot up really. And they've added some kind of complex puzzle mechanic that makes no sense to anyone unless you're high. So that is a problem, isn't it? Um, I think the designers just got lost in their own concept, clearly, here. And they forgot to make the game enjoyable and fun, which is sadly the things that it's not. Um, yes, it's lots of going on the screen and there's some okay sounds and there's some stuff going on and all the rest of it. But it's none of this felt like fun. I have the same vibe from this as I did with Jeff Minter games. I don't like games like this. I don't like crazy, frantic, just screen, you know, vomiting. I don't like that. Mm. It puts me off these kind of games. You know, I don't enjoy that. Is it worth 82%? I'd have placed, I wouldn't have placed this there. I'd have put this around the 50s to 60s, maybe the 70s at a push, maybe because it's got some nice production. It's not accessible, this game. No. It's just not an accessible It's not a game you can get into easily. It's just frantic. And didn't, it's, it's not, I know this isn't a palace game, is it? This is... Uh, Electric dreams, electric it's binary, binary vision, isn't it? They, it's uh, binary vision, but didn't you know? Did they do you no? Know, didn't they do a game? What was another palace game that was they did Rim really Runner. bitty and over? Yeah, it's just over designed. I think over designed and under realized. I don't know what I don't know. How, I'm trying stiff, to describe something. That's, stiff Lip and Co. Rim Runner. They did. Yeah, and I think it's just it, it, I could see what perhaps at some level they were trying to do, which was to just make something a bit more complex and shoot a bit more of thinking man's shoot 'em up. Okay. But you haven't done that. What you've done is just make something arguably really confusing. And because you don't have a def- definitive goal, shoot 'em ups always just need a goal. You need to get to the end of a thing. You need to have a boss to fight. You need to just, that needs to be the shoot 'em up way. There's no other way around that. And you can mess with the logic of the puzzles and things and do all of that, but they've still got to keep to the tropes of a shoot 'em up. Shoot 'em ups require power ups. You know, there's things that they require. And that's been time, you know, over time, those things have developed into the, the formula for those things. Yes, you can tinker with that. Feel free, you know, add some other complexity in there if you want. But this is just, you know, visually just just mind-blowing. It's not, it's not anything you can really figure into. And, and because of that, it's difficult to get into. Once you're in past all, you know, once you go through that epic instruction and you've veed and thied yourself to as much as you want, and you realize that that is just massive over-the-top guff, what you have here is an anarchic shooter of the type that Jeff Minter was making years before this. It's nothing, it's not doing anything really original. Jeff Mint has already done all this stuff, you know, the kind of weed smoking crazy games. Done it, thanks, mate. Um, and yes, it looks nice in its own way, in its own logic, but there is not a fun experience in here. There's not a fun game. And I imagine just endlessly doing that, endlessly just shooting constellations of crazy. How, you know, are you going to stick with that? But I suppose it depends how much weed you might smoke when you're playing it. I don't know, but. <laughs> I'm not sticking with it. I don't do anything like that. And even if I did, I wouldn't inhale. Um, so, <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, so no, it's not for me, Wicked. I didn't like it at all. Certainly didn't deserve 82%, but you know, I'm not the only one here. What did you think? Oh. <laughs> Just as an aside, uh, Paul Norris 
He did. Uh, do you remember that Ice Palace? We looked at that for one yes. of the Back to the Past specials. Do you remember that weird sort of hexagonal thing moving around uh, on that yeah, screen? Yeah, yeah, so he yeah. did that. Yeah. And I think, uh, that makes sense. Uh, I think there's elements yeah. of that here. Makes sense now. Um, I also think this is a D-make, a D-port from the Amiga, isn't it? I think this originally was out on the Amiga. So I think that's why, you know, it looks a bit confused and they tried to sort of cram the Amiga's visuals in. Um, anyway, what is this? <laughs> what is it? I read the instructions. I started playing. What am I supposed to be doing? There's growth portals, evil stuff, red stuff, blue stuff. All I seem to be doing is floating around single screens while stuff grows and shooting stuff, and I've no real idea what I'm doing. I just couldn't figure it. The instructions are so obtuse. Green squares flash, red turns to blue when I shoot it. Tar- There's tarot cards just appearing for no good reason in the middle of the screen. What What do they mean? Yeah. What for? What is going on? <laughs> Even with the instructions, I was none the wiser. And whilst there may be some clever ideas in here, if you can get your head around them, I was left baffled and bewildered. I don't know. Maybe it plays better on the Amiga where it started life and things are a little clearer. But here in medium res C64 land, this is confusing as all hell. And I just wanted to turn it off after a while because I was like, I have no idea what's yeah. going on. It's got some nice Richard Joseph music. Um, it's a couple of nice tunes by Richard Joseph as per normal. No, it's not amazing, but they're pretty decent. But this is not for me. I'd like the problem with this game. the The single biggest problem with this game, apart from its craziness, is feedback. You don't get feedback from the game, no, really, from in any way, shape, or form. I like some clear feedback in my game that what I'm doing is having an effect and working and yep. do, making things progress. This, there's none of that in here. None of it. So this had very little of that. And so when you've got a game that's as crazy as this, you need to have something that's that you can tangibly hold on to to say you're doing good. Here it's just more bubbles turning from blue to red to yellow or whatever. It's just a mess. So no, I, I didn't like this. It's too crazy. It's too nuts. It's too all over the place. Um, not for me, this it, it's certainly, it's not, it's wicked in the bad way. It's not, you know, it's, it's not the good no. wicked. It's the bad wicked. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. That's the first three games. We went from ghouls and ghosts to moonwalker to wicked. It's an interesting start to 1990. If anything, <laughs> true if it's a, if it's a sign of things to come then god help us because <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what's coming up well actually there's a game next we've got more after the music but just stick with us we're going to take a break we need one we'll come back we'll start with the uh, music from uh, january 1990 so uh yeah poof wicked And after that lot, well, we're back. Let's get in some music. See if music was any better in January 1990. <laughs> so start with the singles here in the UK. For the first two weeks, we'll go through our number ones. The first two weeks of the year, we have We're Still Hanging Tough by the New Kids on the Block. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Is there anything more to say about this nonsense? No, only that what surprised me a little bit was as I was looking through some of the sort of, you know, stuff about it, just trying to sort of figure stuff out, the influence that the teen press had on the popularity of these acts at the time. Crazy, isn't it? I didn't realise how, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't into any of the teen magazines such as they were, well, you know, took, Smash Hits. About things and like Smash Hits and Jackie and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that, that sort of thing. I mean, I, I never bought a copy of Smash Hits in my entire life. So I don't know, you know, but having looked at you know, the Ferrari that the was created on behalf of these bands, it's just, you can see there were just, it was marketing gold. 
You know, they were just able to exploit teenagers in such an elaborate way because these acts aren't very good. We know that. And we look back now with this lens and we go, we know they weren't very good. But you know, marketing is just powerful, isn't it? That's why you have four, five members of, a, of these boy bands are always like five members because it's one type for each girl. You know, so usually you have a girls will like a certain type. So you, you cover those archetypal types of boy. That was one of the marketing techniques for it, wasn't it? So is what it is. Aye. Following week, Tears on My Pillow. Because I couldn't take any more hanging tough. Um, there's Tears on My Pillow by <laughs> Callie Minogue um, for one week. <laughs> hanging tough does hurt your arms, doesn't it? It does. I was like, oh, tears. It's an old doo wop song written by Sylvester Bradford and Al Lewis in 1958. The composition was first recorded by Little Anthony and the Imperials and released in August 1958 to great success. Kylie's version is from the movie she was just in, which was The Delinquents, I think. I think we mentioned it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the video is obviously an excuse to have her in skimpy underwear and possibly the worst chroma key I've seen in quite a while. Not the worst we'll see this episode, but certainly the worst. Um, <laughs> so it just scantily clad Callie Minogue in the video. I wonder why, you know, this was number one. Yeah, like. well, it was only one week, but yeah, but there you go. Because the following week... For the last week, and probably I think this will go into February as well, is Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor. Um, that comes in at number one. Yeah. I mean, what what can you say about this? It's just a, such a lovely song and sung in a, in a way that's unique for Sinead O'Connor. Um, obviously, it's well known that it was originally a Prince song and the Prince song is, you know, he sings it um, with Rosie Gaines and I think famously. And I found a live version, which we'll put in the show notes, of Prince's version. It's far more gospel sounding. It's far more of, of a gospel ethos. Mm. And very different to the Sinead O'Connor's version, which is far more soulful, more dramatic, more painful. I think there's more pain. She cries real tears in the video, for goodness sake. And I think more poignant, perhaps, because obviously she's recently passed away. There's a live version, which she she didn't sing it for a long time. I've got a version where she's obviously singing it at the time when it was not not far off its release. Then she didn't sing it for a long, long, long time at all. And then started to sing it, put it back into her performances later down the line, much later down the line. And then obviously, tragically, she passed away. So I think it's an amazing song written by a very clever guy who wrote some, did write some amazing songs. So thanks to Prince for creating that. But I don't think anyone could argue that Sinead O'Connor's version, Nothing Compares to You, is the version to listen mm. to. It's just, it's just an amazing song and so beautifully sang. Really from the heart, that one. Really good. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. It is a very, very good song. That live version you've linked to is uh, quite impressive as well. It's just it's mind-blowing how good it is, isn't it? Crazy. Yeah, good. her voice is incredible. Yep. Number one albums for the first two <sighs> weeks, but seriously, by Phil Collins. Seriously, piss off Collins. <laughs> well, he did for a week. Because um, then we had Colour by the Christians. Oh, it's just no, no, we'll come, we'll come to that later, but no. <laughs> no. Um, and then for the last week, Collins was back again, like a like a bad case of, uh, like a bad rash. He's back again, but seriously, exactly. I'm back. Like tonsillitis. Yeah, he won't leave. He just won't go. So that was our albums. Yeah. Piss off, Collins. We were besotted by Little Phil. Seriously, Collins. Get lost. Go away. <laughs> Go away. Yeah. Uh, let's get into the singles. So 7th of January. In at number 17 is Butterfly on a Wheel by The Mission. That's high for a goth band, isn't it? This is your territory, though. Uh, it is, yeah. Um, I mean, massively, yeah. Just uh, before I could talk about the song sort of thing, this is another... Making the videos these days, uh, that back then, they just stop <laughs> with the chroma keys. Just stop. <laughs> um, just, just, they're never good. 
They're never no. a good idea to have your no. lead singer floating in front of something as of whatever it is. Anyway, this is um this it's a good song this. Um and it's it's in it's interesting because it's the first single from their new album, which is Carved in Sand, which we will obviously get to probably next month, I would have thought. But it was the time I just actually got into the mission at this point. So it was quite important to me as a oh, it's the first new thing from a band I've got into. Yeah, yeah. Because the the children and uh, God's Own Medicine had come out before I was into them. So this is okay. like, oh, new new stuff. So I really liked it. And it's quite it's quite soft. It starts off quite soft, but so it's a song which really builds as it gets going, mm. which I quite like. And one of the good things about this is that the production of this is excellent. It's really yeah. strong. It's really good. It's got a really good sound to it, which is a, in comparison to what we had with the ch- with children when we covered that. And when you listen to that, it had kind of a weak, muffled sound. Mm. This is really clear. The production values on this, I was listening to it today, and it was like, they really fixed that problem. Yeah, um, yeah. the, the producer children. of this? I should know, but I don't. Is it Flood? I don't know. I can, I'll have a look in a minute, but I don't know. But you can just tell that they've, they've fixed that problem that they realised they had. The vocals are really clear. All the guitars are really nice. It's a sort of, like I said, the drums are ace. Really powerful drums as they get going. Strong bass. It's just a really good song. It's a bit hippie-ish in its video and stuff. It's not a great video, but it's a good song. And it's a good opener for what will come for the album. Um, although the next one is even better still. Uh, the next single off it but i do like okay. this song it's good not so the next one though because it's number 24 we have you make me feel mighty real by oh. jimmy somerville i hated this and i hated <laughs> it for loads of different reasons you, firstly right this is a cheesy cover even by gay standards right this was a huge disco hit in 1978 for sylvester massive and you make me feel mad it was a massive disco hit mm-hmm. and then you got this version which somehow remarkably loses its disco vibe and then rearranges it to a more sanitized pop house sort of version which removes all of that sort of part of it which kind of leaves it a bit clinical sounding it would have been popular in the right clubs of course you know because that's kind of the nature of this kind of act but it just felt like a trite cover. You know, it's obvious to do this cover. And that's kind of where Jimmy Silverbill seems to have gone because he did, you know, he, he did I Feel Love, he did a version of that, I think, didn't he? With mm-hmm. um, and He's done some you know, classic disco covers by Jimmy Somerville. Well, you know, it's kind of heading down an obvious road. The video is exactly as you'd expect it to be, boppy, wiggly, and full of unnecessary chroma key. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. Yeah, it's not good. Floating Somerville heads. That's what I've heard. Oh, no. Floating yeah, Somerville absolutely. heads and giddy bopping. What starts of the 90s? <laughs> this is what we needed. I don't know, but this is a, there's a little bit of a tone of this. There's some you know, disco hits being reimagined for the 90s. It's yeah. a little bit of a theme creeping in. We'll come across a few more. Well, it's because they're, they're, they're long enough ago for us to have forgotten them where they're sort yeah. of 10 they're 10 you know they're sort of 10 15 years old now so the the youngsters will have forgotten them and they're they're fresh for reimagining to you know for raid that back cat, back that raid studio that back 54 had been closed for a number of years i guess yeah. so you know so, yeah. no, so something um, like the, that the but, producer mm. by the way on the butterfly and the wheel was tim palmer he does lots of things he also did pearl jams 10 oh there you go very talented um, guy then, he did he album. actually returned i think he did the first lot of mission stuff he didn't do the second lot and then he did, came back for this which is why you can hear the well uh, Stuff. Certainly very good. Mm, yes. Number 35 is I Called You by Lil Louie and the World. <laughs> One of the club scene hits at the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really boring song. There's no way around yeah, that. It is. It really is. It's just a woman going, I called you, but you weren't there. Where did you go? It's like, <laughs> oh, really? It's so boring. I've forgotten. I listened to this this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I predicted you'd despise this song with much fervor, and I probably wasn't far off because I can't imagine you enjoying that at all. No, but then it was it was just gone. For, I think this moment I listened to it, it was gone. It like yeah, passed through my just, head, just in and out, gone. No, no memory of that. And remember, French Kiss was the one before this, which, which was a massive hit and actually really quite influential and good. This one, mm. not so much, not, not so much. So much. Um, unlike the next one, number thirty-six, oh. it no more, Mister Nice Guy by Megadeth. <laughs> 
Crap. So this is co- covering it of the Alice Cooper song, which it always is, makes me laugh because he goes, "No more, Mister Nice Guy. No more, Mister Clee." It always <laughs> makes me laugh that bit. He's bad. <laughs> He's obscene. Stupid. <laughs> it's crap. I open doors for little old ladies. I help the blind to see. <laughs> It's just stupidly rubbish. <laughs> it's, it's a joke song. I know it is. It's Alice Cooper, but it's, it, I didn't like the original. But this one, the Megadeth version, where they try and rock it up, you know, Megadeth oh, it's is. Just so, <laughs> so bad. And it's the soundtrack to Shocker, isn't it? And oh, just no, it's all kinds of bad. Yeah, that, yeah, when they, yeah, so it is, it is Shocker. So we've got that coming up some point. We've got the yeah, Adventures of Horace Pinker. Oh, God's <laughs> sake, that stupid film. I really liked it at the time as well. I'm, you did really like it. I remember you going on about it for ages. Didn't you buy the soundtrack? Yes, I did buy the soundtrack. Yes, unfortunately. It, so that's where my, I, that's what led me to get a uh, Dangerous a, you know, Toys, wasn't it? Dangerous Toys album because there's a Dangerous Toys track on that. And it's like, <laughs> I, no, the stupid thing is, right? And I don't, and I can't honestly explain why. So when we, when I saw that this was on the listing for this, I just thought I'd listen to the Shocker soundtrack again because I had it on tape, believe it or not. Back in the day, I had it on tape. Yeah, so I thought did. I'd listen to the mega. I thought I'd listen to the soundtrack again, and I knew all the words to the stupid <laughs> shock dance. And that's even now I could recite them to you. You know, he grabs his foot, and he clutches his knife, and there's people in the city running further. Why do I know that? Why? Because he's you a maniac, to it a lot. heart attack, wired to kill, a cold-blooded <laughs> lunatic, hungry through a frill. Love is the victim in a world gone bad. Pain is like nitro when you start raving. Why do I know that? Don't know. Goodness me, I, I listened to it a lot. I did. Because when we're trying to <laughs> so remember, we, we, what the hell? Am somewhere I doing? in our head is that rubbish. But <laughs> it is. It's there. But anyway, this is a crap. It's a crap song by a, a band I don't really like. I have to be honest. So no. Eh. no. At number thirty-nine is "More Than You Know" by Martika. Is it good? <laughs> yeah, I mean, is it? I got Sam Fox vibes off that song. It's tacky shite. I can only think that Toy Soldiers was something of a false flag. Because <laughs> it's like, you promised us Toy Soldiers and more tracks like that. Toy Soldiers was good. We've had two more for you. And I'm like thinking, hmm, I've been scammed. Yeah, it's got a sound. It's the kind of the delayed, like, the clap snare whack that you get. Ding, 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 ding. You know, Prince uses it all the time. Think uh, when doves cry, dun, 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 yeah. dun. you know, you get that kind of, you know, and Madonna uses it a lot. And it's in this as well. It's a bit late, you know, you bit tight. they've stolen all of They used it all up. There's <laughs> <laughs> no more so late just, clap for you. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's better than the last single. That's not saying much, is it? But this isn't, is this Martika really? I don't, I don't know. Is it? Yeah, it very, it's very odd. It's, 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 this is not the Martika that did Toy Soldiers, is it? So No. Number 44 is I'll Be Good To You uh, by Quincy Jones featuring Ray Charles and Chaka Khan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. God. But, now, where they tricked into being in that is the question. <laughs> <laughs> they just led into a room and filmed. Yeah, I think you, so. You wouldn't know. Oh, that drum beat, as you've noted. It's, soul to soul, it's the Soul to Soul drum beat, isn't it? <laughs> oh, sorry. Soul, soul or Soul, as we soul rightly pointed out. Yes, yes, yeah. Logic, logic gates, Soul or Soul. Makes no sense. You know, <laughs> Ray Charles song. and Chaka Khan, amazing songwriters, singers in their own right. This is just terrible. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Yeah. It just should not be. No, and the video is so saccharine, I lost a tooth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your teeth itch watching that, don't it's you? Like, yeah. It's like, oh, it's like, what, where's my tooth gone? See, I've got a toothache. Ah, where's that come from? Yeah, totally that. Uh, number 60 is Just Like Jesse James by Cher. I <laughs> like Cher. I like this period of Cher. Yeah, it's all right. She's, yeah, she was gonna... good at this period. Uh, just all these rock songs she was doing. Yeah, I'm not going to hate on it. You know, it's cheesy and whatnot, but it, it's got a nice sound. There's a good bridge and a chorus. You know, it's very, very formulaic. Not bad. It's fun to play on the guitar because it's piss easy. You know, what's not to like about that? Yeah. 
it's crazy. This is massive. It's so huge. <laughs> it makes a, a face has been diminished. Right? I mean, that makes Brian, Brian May's hair look positively minuscule. Yeah, she's seven foot tall in this video. <laughs> it's, so, it's massive. It's just, there's a little face on hair. It's just this giant ball of hair. Her pillow is halfway down a bed. Because <laughs> she has to. She has to have a really long bed. She has to have special hats made to get on that thing. Bloody hell. <laughs> Be the size of a boat. But just to say, you can hear it as well. It's written by Desmond Child and Diane Warren. And it's produced by Child. As soon as I yeah. listened to it, I went, I bet this is Desmond Child. Yeah, it's got the, totally. it's just Everything about it is is him. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Number 62 is Downtown Train by Rod Stewart. I listened to this and my house got pebble dashed. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want that to happen. Stewart! <laughs> damn you, Stewart! <laughs> <laughs> the backlighting guy was back, wasn't he? Remember we mentioned oh. him in the last video where he backlit Rod Stewart's hair so he made him look like a crazy porcupine. He's back. He did it again. He's back. It's even, in fact, it's even it's even more backlit. Yeah, it's stronger, stronger. What they've, they've put? They've taken the forty watt bulb out, and put a sixty watt in. It's nightmarish. <laughs> it really is. Downtown train. Originally, this was uh, by Tom Waits. Released on his album ah. Rain Dogs in 1985. That promo video for the song was directed by Jean Baptiste Mondino and features boxer Jake LaMotta. Not this version, though. It's just no. Rod Stewart mooching about a train station. Like, ugh. Yeah. Looking for a dance train. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you couldn't, <laughs> like, it's about, okay, it's train. Don't film it at a train station. You don't have to be that literal. No. Well, you just know the next announcement's going to be. We regret to inform you the train's been delayed for pebble dashing on the track. We can't understand how it's even got there. Stuart! <laughs> We'd like to warn you about a severe backlighting. When the train pulls out, you may not be able to see where you're going. <laughs> Number 64 is Nothing Ever Happens by Delamitri. <laughs> you know what? I'll concede. All right, this is the only Delamitri song I kind of have a bit of time for. But I did laugh in the video because his, his fringe has become like a... It's become really elongated. His fringe is about six foot in front of his face. Absolutely. It's like he's challenged, he's challenged in sheer. The challenge is sheer <laughs> to high high hair stakes. Her hair is high and his hair is forward. It's like, you know, he, yeah. could, he could literally put, you know, stand over you if you were, you know, needing a bit of shade in the sun. He could just stand over you and your full body would be shaded. His fringe is about seven foot long. Crazy. It is quite, it is quite long. Uh, it's a nice tune, though, this. Nothing yeah, it's all right. Happens at all. Yeah. It's the, the only one I've got a bit of time for. Yeah, it's, it's pretty decent. It's all right. Um, inoffensively okay is what I call this. Yeah, yeah, it is that at best. Uh, 14th of January, as we said, before it gets to number one, it comes in at number two, Tears of My Pillow by Callie Minogue. Uh, in at number 26 is Welcome to the Terror Dome by Public Enemy. Uh, stupidly influential track. Just If you listen to that, you'll hear about a million samples of stuff that you'll hear in other records. It's very influential stuff. Not just that, because they've sampled it, but because it's a record that's sampled. So crazy yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Everything about Public Enemy is generally influential, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose, right? and it's because it's Chuck D. You can't argue with the sound of Chuck D. The guy's an amazing vocal rapper. It's just... Yeah, he is Chuck D, so it's amazing. Stuff. Chuck D. And at number 27 is NRG by Adamski. Um, this is like the best of the synths of around the 90s. This is sort of features, you know, featuring every synth you've heard of. This would have lit clubs, I believe is the way that it's uh, phrased these days. This is well lit. I always oh, thought okay. well lit clubs meant that they just had good lighting. Turns out I was completely wrong. So, yeah, you don't, you don't know what you're on about. You're not, you're not down with the kids like I'm me. I'm not down with the kids now. But, you know, the last nightclub I went to is now a giant chip shop. So what does that tell you? <laughs> I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's just a comment <laughs> on modern life. That's what it is. <laughs> Stuart! <laughs> Stuart! 
<laughs> came round, he pebble-dashed the nightclub, turned it into a chippy. Stuart! Stuart, you pebble-dashing crazy, get out of here. Take your pebble-dashing nonsense with you. Ugh. Get on that downtown train and piss off. Go on, away with you, with you away and Collins. In at number 28 is Welcome by Gino Latino. Yeah, house dance track of the time. Annoying and stupid video with the phrase house music all night long. That yeah. will burn into your brain if you listen to that for very long. Uh, it's no. Just this is just a, a straight no for me. This is not your thing. No, no, it's not. Um in at number thirty is Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor. Yeah, we know Before where that's it goes going. Up to number one. Number forty two is, is What's That All It Was by Kim Mazell at number forty two. So, now this is Surely they were just the next band in the studio after Gino Latino because it sounds exactly the same. Dreary Clubhouse. Yeah, just no. No. Yeah, it's not, your thing. It's, not, no. it's not your thing. No. It's not your thing. Number 46 um, <laughs> is Instant Replay by Yell. I took a screenshot of them there. <laughs> <laughs> what fresh horror is this? <laughs> How did these two become a pop band? More Stock Aiken and Walkman produced Dance Monkeys that wiggle and twitch through a naff cover of yet another disco song. This one was Dan Hartman's 1978 classic, Instant, Instant Replay. Replay. Yeah. Which was way better than this. Weirdly, the video for Hartman version's got a really weird ensemble of people in it. <laughs> Kiss guitarist Vinnie Vincent, Hilly Michaels from Sparks, and G.E. Smith, who was the future Hall & Oates guitarist and Saturday Night Live band leader on bass. What an odd ensemble. It's still that better is. than this crappy, stupid prance monkey, dance monkey things. That Ugh. What are they? Are they human? What are they? Just... <laughs> Where do they looks find like, these things? Looks like he's being mugged. <laughs> Picture. Where do you find them? Do you advertise for these things? Wanted. You know, two fresh-faced idiots to prance around looking stupid for a while. You'll only have to mime, honest, Gov. Well, there's no shortage there, probably. Yeah, maybe. In at number 66 is To Know Someone Deeply is To Know Someone Softly by Terence Trent Darby. Nothing pretentious about that title at all. disappeared so far up his own ass. he's coming out of his mouth. And it starts exactly as you imagine it would, with lots of kind of just vowel sounds, really, and emitting <laughs> yeah. so air, oh, ah, air, rubbish. Crap. Yeah. Crap. Yeah, awful. Um, and at number 99, though, is House by the Psychedelic Furs. That is a great song. It was a good song. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I'm digging yeah. this period of Psychedelic Furs more than I have the other periods. So, uh, yeah, it's good. Good, good, yeah. good song that was. No argument there. There's not much to say about it. It's just a very good song. Go listen to it. It's good. It is, good tune. Yeah. Good. Good American sort of indie rock. Are they British actually? Psychedelic Furs. I don't know. Uh, I think they are. Yeah. Oh, good British indie rock then. They sound American. They have an American twang. It's because they're in that bloody pretty and pink. Yeah. Twenty first of January. In at number twenty six. I wish it would rain down by Phil Collins. I wish it would rain down and stop them producing this kind of <laughs> stupid crap. Yeah. Oh, the video for this is one of those story videos, isn't it? Where he's, yeah. he's just a he's just a guy on stage cleaning up, and he gets a chance to yeah. sing. Oh, yeah, he's perfect. It's filmed in black and white. Oh. It's, I thought it was Doctor Phil in it, but I don't think it is. I think it's the guy from um, uh, Three O'clock High. Is the one of the teachers in Three O'clock High? I think. Yeah, he's in loads of things. He's in loads um, of stuff. Uh, not not Parks and Rec. He's in one of those shows. Larry Sandler's Larry Sandler Larry Larry Shandling show or Gary. Whatever his name is, what was Gary Shandling? It's Gary Shandling and Larry Sanders in it. That's it. Yeah, it's yeah the same guy. Yeah, yeah. you kind of blended in them, them into one. But yeah, I, I, I agree. But this, you know, Eric Clapton's even in the video. It doesn't help it though. It starts off with them all talking about Phil Collins and how great he is and stuff, and then he comes on and just off. Essentially, yeah. nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to see that. Yeah, they don't. He's the dad in uh, Arrested Development. Yeah, yeah. Say so he's he's done the rounds. That guy, the one who goes to prison and tells him all the money. There's money in the uh, banana banana thing. In at number 32, is happening all over again. 
which is, I feel like let's see some, some of the songs. It's like the giant from Twin Peaks. It's happening again uh, by Lonnie Gordon. Yeah, so Stock Aiken and Watman strike back, don't they? PWL, dreadful, dreadful song. And this was this was becoming the '90s sound. How depressing is that? No wonder people mm-hmm. took ease. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Other, other went to raves to escape the trouble. I mean, I think uh, my thought is at this point, this is all being driven by the Hitman and her. Yeah, a lot of it is. You're right. So yeah. the because obviously that's you know that's Pete Waterman going around to clubs pl- saying play these songs. It's vertical integration. So they're pumping these yeah. tunes out to play at these places, which they play on telly when people are watching it, and they go oh, and they buy it and. Yeah, smash hits in ritzes up and down the country, wasn't it? So Blackpool yeah. Ritzy, this was a massive hit. It's yeah. dreadful. It's a dreadful song. Dreadful thing. I don't know who even know where they found Lonnie God. I think she's a you know otherwise probably a good singer, but no, 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 rubbish. Um, <laughs> does it get any better though? Number thirty nine is "Walk On By" by Sybil. This is stupid, isn't it? Why are you doing this? I mean, this is if Salt and Soul had an evil twin, it would be their song. Just you know, <laughs> they took they took a really great song, which is Dionne Warwick's "Walk On By." which is a classic, mm-hmm. famous for its kind of subtlety. And if you see me walking down, you know, and it's just got that nice sort of Motowny vibe. Mm-hmm. It's very, very classic. Take all that and just f-ing kill all that and remove all that subtlety <laughs> and just make it this pumped out version to, you know, for the gym rats probably to, you know, to run to in the, in the 90s. Awful thing. Horrible. <laughs> and at number four is All for Love, Break for Love, 1990 by Ray's. Bit of <laughs> house. You'll hate that. Yeah, would, I, I knew you'd hate it. It's got plink plonk, <laughs> really, really bad plink plonk piano in that, like heavy uh, plink plonk piano. Nails on a chalkboard. Yeah, it's the, it's got the plink plonk, plink plonk, plink plonk, blah, plink plink plink. It's that kind of piano, the kind that you really love. Yeah. Number 44 is Hello by The Beloved. Get Lost by The Beloved, it should have been. <laughs> yeah, go away. He comes across as a knobhead in that video. Probably <laughs> yeah. up his own ass. that guy. He's such a high opinion of himself. He's always glazily looking into the camera with his kind of crystally eyes. Yeah, it's just shite, jingly, indie ass. Um, Awful. I've always, I've always hated this song. Um, it's not very good. Uh, yeah. Hello, people. Hello. It's like, go away. And just the video is so pretentious, it takes the piss. I mean, he's, he's, he starts off in a kind of water tank, doesn't he? Gla- you know, it's just, no. I don't know who you are. You're not beloved to me. Get lost. <laughs> no. Uh, number 45 is Come Back to Me by Janet Jackson. This starts with a lot of ooh, doesn't it? Ooh. <laughs> ooh. Number, number, well, like, ooh. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah but yeah. Uh, what a tragic fall from the greatness of Rhythm Nation. Wow. Yes. What happened? Godness me. Crap. Yeah, it's not good, is it? Bland. Bland love song. Bland nonsense. It's like someone said to her, right, you've had your fun with the Rhythm Nation, now do what the Jacksons do. So it sounds like a Michael Jackson song all day long, and not a very good one. Uh, number 72 is the Ride EP by Ride. This is my question to you. Is this Shoegazer? Yeah, pretty Yay! much. Yay! <laughs> I got it. <laughs> this is, uh, this is uh, yeah, this is this is quite quite much so. Very much so. Curtains, haircuts, flares, dancing whilst looking at your shoes. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I've seen this a lot, sort of thing. Not entirely my cover char ride. I don't mind it though. They're all right. They're, they're a bit. There is they have a they have a sound all of their own, and they're quite you know the kind of like a noise wall of noise type band. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, there's a few of them in this uh, episode, isn't there? But that's yeah. uh, the first one I I successfully identified as shoegazer. <laughs> I mean, someone might of write in and, well, someone might tell us again. They weren't shoegazer. I mean, to my understanding, they were. Um, but you know what? You know. They were proper shoegazing, not like shoegazing of the charts shoegazers. These was no, these were real shoegazing, yeah. The real shoegazers, yeah. These were 
really gazing at their shoes. Um, yes. In at number 80 is Dropping Rhymes on Drums by Def Jeff and Etta James. Yeah, hip-hop. Good stuff, though. Good hip-hop, but good hip-hop all the same. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. I'll leave that to you. 28th of January, in at number three is Get Up, Before the Night is Over, featuring Ya Kid K. <laughs> Technotronic yeah. featuring Ya Kid K. Get up, get up, get busy, get do busy it. Get busy, do it, and I'll see you party. Even I know this damn thing. Not yeah. to this day. Before the <laughs> night is over. The sounds and samples of Technotronic, you know, they shaped a lot of Amiga demos. And not not Technotronic per se, but the sounds that are used in that. The state of state of the art. State of the art, you know, that drum, that kind of drum sound, the bass sound. I mean, it's the same sounds that are essentially used for pop up the jam as well. So it's it's got yes. that kind of sound. Interestingly, the thumpy bass synth sound <laughs> in that particular track, that you know, the one that's used in Pump Up the Jam, dum 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 da da and the one that's used in that dum 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 da da the one that's used in this. That is a sound that's called the FM Lately Bass. That's the actual Ooh. sound that's been used. And it's on loads of synthesizers of that time, particularly the one that's used there, which is probably a Yamaha TX81Z. However, the Lately Bass is used in so many dance tracks of the 90s, it's actually remarkable. I mean hundreds of them. And if you want an example of another one just off the top of my head, Saturday Night by Wigfield. Ding, 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 yeah, ding. True. Dude, yeah, that yeah. is the FM Lately Bass which is exactly the same one that's used here that's gated, same one that's in Pump Up The Jam, same one that's in a million dance tracks. It's, in fact, I think there's a website devoted, or a YouTube channel devoted to identifying all the songs that use the Lately Bass, the FM Lately Bass in the 90s. Quite interesting, quite interesting. Mm. But if you're wondering why all music starts to sound kind of the same, it's because they're using the same sounds. That's the Roland yeah. 909 drum machine, and that's the FM Lately Bass. Every song that uses them is going to sound like that, whether you tweak it or whatever. I mean, obviously they've tweaked it a bit, but I was going to say, what kind of crazy fool would sort of go to the go to the lengths to label every song done by using this bass? And then I realised I do a podcast where we're playing through all the Commodore sixty four games, <laughs> and so uh, I should I shouldn't throw I shouldn't throw stones in from my glass house. <laughs> Number twenty two is Shine On by the House of Love. She, she, That's a good she, song. That. Shine On. It is a good song. Gulliver's yeah, classic. it is. It is. It is a total Gulliver's classic. It's probably where I heard it. Actually, it's where I first heard it. Yeah, it's not a song I've ever. I've never. I've never not liked that song. Mm. You know, I've always. I've always kind of thought that's quite good. Yeah, it's quite gothy, but not quite sort of yeah, late gothy something. But has a good sort of rock to it. It's good. Yeah, good song. Only one of theirs that I liked though. I went on a bit of a listening to quite a few of theirs recently, and uh, there was nothing else that really. That was one. The one that stood out. Um, but you know, it's what it is. Uh, number 23 is 18 and Life by Skid Row. <laughs> uh, all right. Heavy message video, isn't it? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, heavy message song. You know, I, 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 Skid Row were never a band I got into. And they all they have all the ingredients of a band. I mean, they're kind of the American Europe, aren't they? So, really. I think they're a, they're a bit heavier, aren't they? They always had a bit of a heavier edge, Skid Row. They are. They are. But the, the same, you know, the same. They've got Sebastian Bach as their lead singer, haven't they? Yeah, you know? yeah. So, Fair enough. Okay, whatever. But you know, and he is a great vocalist. I'm not going to take that away from him. And you know, obviously a very good looking guy because he's in a big rock band. But I think they're just the Skid Row problem was always they were a bit late to the party. I think they're just they've kind of all the stuff had been done. If this band had been around five years before properly, at the same time as the big other Bon Jovi's and the other big bands, the Motley Crews, mm. I reckon they'd have been you know they'd have been revered far more than they are. This is a good song by them, but it's uh, you know it's it's of its time. It's the it's the it's like the uh, Janie's got a good Aerosmith vibe, you know. It's got a, a serious message in the video and all the rest of it. 
but it's it's all right. It's not bad. Not yeah, bad. I quite I quite like this. I didn't mind it. But I did quite laugh though. Every time they cut to the guitarist and he's doing his angry look at the camera. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like, no, no, making me ch- chuckle. Uh, number thirty two is "Sleep with Me" by Birdland. More your thing. I'd have thought when I listened to that. I thought Adi would probably like that. No, I don't. I was never a Birdland fan. Never, never really, never really particularly got into them. There's a few bands of these that'll sound like this over the next few years. This kind of they remind me. It's a bit like wedding. I don't know. Someone's going to hate me for this, but I just thought they were similar to wedding present. I thought wedding present, wedding present were better. They're just that kind of noisy indie sort of stuff. Indie rock, yeah, 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 kind of like uh, Ned's Atomic Dustbin and things like that, probably somewhere. But someone will go, "They're nothing like that," and you're probably right, but. I never heard anything about Birdland that made me go, ooh, I want to listen to more. In fact, what yeah. I heard was, I don't want to listen to any more. Number 34 is The King and Queen of America by Eurythmics. Talk about a bit of a glove slap, isn't it? You know, it's very heavy on, you know, anti-USA message for reasons I don't know why it is, but it is. Mm. So I don't know what quite, I don't think they would be expecting to that chart heavily in the US. <laughs> no. Um, I, still, I remember when we covered the album and I said, mm. this is the song I mentioned on it, because I thought this sounded like Roxette. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, it sounds like Roxette. They look like Roxette in it. They sort of take on weird personas, don't they, in the video where she's yeah. dressed as a kind of a, and it's sort of a critique of American life. It seemed to me, you know, there's yeah. famous glamour stars and film stars and people in. Yeah, it's not. It's not a bad song. It's not. A, it's not a terrible song. It's just not very eurythmicsy. Well, this is the problem, isn't it? You no, know, they they've kind of. You could put this side by side with Sweet Dreams and you'd think you were looking at two and listening to two different bands. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Number 48 is Probably a Robbery by Renegade Soundwave. That's a great title for a track, that is. Probably a Robbery. Yeah, it yeah, is good. Really good. I like this. I mean, yeah, I same. think there's a lot of Renegade Soundwave stuff that I quite like. Uh, this is good. It's it's kind of a bit more muted than some of the other stuff, but um, I like the fact you said he should have recorded Park Life because I can, I can certainly definitely hear that in this yeah um, totally very very similar it also reminded me a bit of um maybe just the name renegade soundwave probably a robbery of uh fun there's i got fun living criminals weird yeah, vibe or I, something I, that that hit me as well with that for some reason I, I sort of that vibe and that sort of name and yeah i i, I got that and i mean yeah we, we know we joke about the fact that the a version of park life by them would have made sense with the way that they sing and sound mm. but that's because it doesn't make sense for blur who don't sound anything like that he is not a cockney geezer you know, he's a fairly well-spoken middle-class guy, as, as are they all, if not not quite wealthy. Um, so, you know, this, all the people, it's just an act. That's Blur doing an act. They don't sound like that. It's not them at all. No. That's just an act. Whereas these guys actually do. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, it would have been made more, <laughs> more sense. Uh, and at number 53 is Love Don't Come Easy by The Alarm. No, it's slide guitar. I've kind of gone off that now. It's, it's, it's doing my head in. So, no. uh, I, I, you know, it's, it's, I can't believe it's not you too, isn't it? Yeah, totally, totally that. Yeah, it's it them. Is. Yeah, number sixty-three, Cherry Lips, De Erdbeermund by Culture Beat, De Erdbeermund. I don't know how you pronounce oh. that. <laughs> as soon as it started i was bored yeah i mean culture beat i mean culture beat come back with all the stuff later down the line which you know that's what i recognize recognize the name then i heard this i was like what is this it's yeah. crap you know you'll remember culture beat from their other great classics right so yes well i couldn't name one but i recognize the name well you remember that mr mr vane i think he's one of those oh yeah it? maybe i know what i want and i want it now call him mr vane that's Culture Beat. That's not this Culture Beat, though, is it? Is it the same one? Uh, I, I, who knows? It's the same name. Who knows? Maybe who it is. Knows? Maybe it isn't. Nearly finished. The nineteen eight. Uh, sorry, number 84 is Bounty Killers by Depth Charge. It's a good song. Good track, this This was. was really good and really interesting, and it got me down a bit of a rabbit hole with them, and I actually found them really... Re- I've never, never come across them before, knowingly. 
I put this in there because I thought you might really like good. it. Because I thought, mm. I had listened to it and I was like, this sounds like something you'd probably like. I'll put yeah, it in. and the album's really good that it's from. Don't know, maybe uh, maybe Brown Source can tell us some more because uh, I bet he's heard of them. Summon the source. <laughs> he never arrives when you say that. <laughs> he should. No, well, as long as you don't say it to a mirror three times. <laughs> he just comes and squirts Brown Source on you and disappears. But you don't know where he squirts it from. That's the problem. Um, uh... <laughs> Uh, but this, yeah, great track. Hip-hop, as you've written, hip-hop, breakbeats, and film samples. And really odd film samples. Um, yeah, from sort of cheeky-dubbed movies. What's not yeah, to like about Kung that? Kung Fu movies and stuff, yeah. It, it is, is, cool. Yeah. It's good, good, good track. That's Bounty Killers with Depth Charge. And just to round off, number 90 is Power by Almighty. <laughs> oh, this is just crap. <laughs> it's made me laugh my head off when I watched it. I mean, are they a piss take? Is this a piss take band? I are they, don't know. Are they real? I don't- I think so. They've got some, the, so, <laughs> these lyrics. This dreadful. This is 1990, right? We're into we're into it a is. new decade. Glam rock. Nirvana are a year away. Yeah. Okay? Thank God. This Thank nonsense. God. So the lyrics go. Just just a couple of. This is two samples. These are, all flow together. No one makes me feel like you do. Satisfaction's my reaction. Some bitch told me that she was easy. Sweet sixteen. She tried to please me. <laughs> Oh, God. Jesus. Then it says, give me love, give me power, give me love and power. (laughs) It's like, couldn't think of anything else. And give me, oh, and give me freedom. (laughs) It's like the worst verse, the worst chorus in the world. Give me love, give me power, give me love and power, and give me freedom. It's like, oh, it's basically, it's it's the Spanish Inquisition. That's what I thought (laughs) of when I read this. I was like, ah, our chief weapon is love. Love and power. Power. Our two weapons are love and power. And, and and freedom. I love her. Three amongst us. <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote this shit? It's it's, it's spi- they are Spinal Tap. I mean, the song yeah. sounds like a Spinal Tap song. They the video looks like the kind of thing Spinal Tap would do. Yeah, they're wandering around a hotel at some point. They are. They've even got <laughs> a guy that looks like Ian. Looks like the manager Ian is the guy that it looks <laughs> yeah. like that. I mean, maybe they are the real Spinal Tap. We don't know much about them. I'm about to find out a bit more about about them. But what an awful uh, thing that is. What is? And I, I just wrote, when I saw this and put the thing in, I just went, I just, just wrote, this will make you laugh. I knew it would. I knew it give would. Give me love, so give I, me power, and give me freedom. Uh, <laughs> give me love, uh, give me love and power. <laughs> Stupid. Stupid anyway. Let's get to the albums. There's not many albums, so we'll whip through these quickly, and most of these are best ofs. 7th of January, there's only one new album out. Number 73, Love Lines by The Carpenters, uh, best of. Carpenters, loads of them. I'm just going to whip through these. 14th of January, uh, at number 57, is Back on the Block by Quincy Jones. Ah, yes. Okay, yeah. Just loads of old classic tracks there, I think, isn't there, really? So, I think you know, so. Ella Fitzgerald, Miles Davis, that kind of thing. Yeah, number 71, Greatest Hits of the Moody Blues by the Moody Blues. I mean, surprise, surprise. It's the Greatest Hits of the Moody They did do two extra orchestrated tracks with London Symphony Orchestra. And again, I was getting Spinal Tap vibes. You know, I've wanted to do two my tracks with the London Symphony <laughs> Orchestra, as you know. Saucy Jack. <laughs> my musical version of uh, Jack, the, Jack the Ripper. Yeah, Saucy Jack. <laughs> Saucy Jack, you're a naughty one. <laughs> uh, 21st of January, we've already spoken about it. In, in, in terms, we don't want to go any further. Number one, Colour by the no. Christians. In at number four was Reading, Writing and Arithmetic by the Sundays. Mm, That's the mm, debut yeah. album. Yeah. Um, Are these another one of the... Sundays, Sundays. Are these another one of those sort of bands like the Darling Buds and stuff or whatever? And Darling, uh, like Dar- I want to say yes. I I don't listen to a great deal of them. Um, it's classic, you know. It's it's well regarded. Um, Pitchfork ranked this at number fifteen on its list of the thirty best dream pop albums. What dream pop means, I don't know. 
And <laughs> if you're at number 15 out of 30, you're just bang in the middle. Right? Yeah, it's like it's the worst place to be. Don't, I don't know. Anyway, make it Who knows? Will. Who knows? Uh, number 63 is bummed by the Happy Mondays. <laughs> so they discover drugs as their key thing here and house music. And it shows because this is a drug-fueled house album. Uh, yeah, I've, I can't actually ever say I've listened to a Happy Mondays album. I never wanted to really go further than what was. <laughs> the yeah, you can me. imagine what it sounds like. You know, they basically went to Driffield and got high for three weeks, and this is the result. <laughs> I'm so. surprised you go to Driffield, but um, this is this, this is a shit uh, shoegazing stuff. This is the rubbish. yeah, yeah, I guess, oh, uh, yeah you got shit shoes on. <laughs> you bastard. 28th of January. Um, in at number four is the very best of Cat Stevens. Yeah, featuring all of the best songs in a different order. Well, it's the very best. <laughs> it's not just the best, it's the very best. Very best. This is not just a Cat Stevens album. This is a Max and Spencer Cat Stevens <laughs> Cat album. Cat Stevens album, yeah. Uh, in at number 39 is A Gilded Eternity by Loop. This was an odd thing when I listened to this. Uh, is this shoegazy stuff again? Uh, I don't think so. Um, and oh, I'll okay. tell you why. It's, to me, it sounded a bit more like Sonic Youth, sort of some Sonic Youth sort of vibes. I'm not over familiar with this lot. Loop, so I went and had a look, see if you recognise any of these genres of rock. Loop are an English rock band formed in 1986 by Robert Hampson. The group topped the UK independent charts, their albums Fade Out and Gilded Eternity. The dissonant trance rock sound drew on the work of artists like the Stooges and Can and helped to resurrect the concept of space rock in the late 1980s. Their musical styles have been described as space rock, psychedelic rock, Drone rock and noise rock. Um, sounds like um, ass <laughs> any, rock to me. Does, does any of that, you know, could you? No. You know? I mean, I get it. Is there's that kind of wall of noise vibe? Yeah. Maybe there's, maybe there is, it's maybe they're just struggling to define what it actually is. And there's bands later that do this kind of thing, and that this big wall of sound type idea. Yeah, so I, th- I think I listened to this and I heard a lot of stuff that came out of sub pop. Yeah, I'll take your word for that again. So, I, I, pop, so the Nirvana, the Bleak, um, not just Nirvana, but Pond, a, a lot, I'm trying to think of some of the other book, but sort of Mud Honey, those kind mm-hmm. of bands that came came around, that sort of thing. And I listened to this and went, I can hear bits of those in this, and like I said, in Sonic Youth. Um, obviously well regarded, but not, not ever something I've ever, ever come across, but sounded quite interesting. Probably not going to listen to ever again, though. No. Uh, there you go. Number no. 41, finally, Done by the Forces of Nature by the Jungle Brothers. Yeah, just a big hip hop album of the time. They were now, you know, hip hop albums by the time we get to the 90s are starting to really work their way through, obviously. Um, you know, finally, you know, what was now, what, what was once in the, um, you know, hushed tones and banned record collections of some DJs has now started to make its way into the hands of regular Joes and stuff like that. Mm. Jungle Brothers are one of the, you know, the gilded, the, one of the, uh, the vanguard of that kind of thing, as well as things, you know, many other bands, but good stuff if you like it. You know, as we've mm. said about all hip hop, um, none of the hip hop coming out of this time is what you'd call, you know, this, there is some charty stuff, but most of this kind of stuff and the, the stuff that's coming out from um, NWA and stuff like that, it's really good stuff. You know, if, if you're going to listen to hip hop, go and listen to start, start your journey with some of that because it really is amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. And there we go. That's it. That's your music for January 1990. Not a not a stellar bunch, but some some some, <laughs> moments, some moments in there. Yeah, some bits and bobs, yeah. And also far too much uh, stock aching and Waterman for our oh, taste. They, they need to be stopped in time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the Terminator came back for the wrong thing. No, put the plan for John Connor to one <laughs> side for a minute. Let's focus on the really important thing. Sort the music of the 90s out and then absolutely. go back and you know, 
nuke yeah. the world, whatever. But you know, and, get that sorted. And, and just remember to give me love, give me power, give me love and power, <laughs> and then give me freedom. Well, <laughs> be a mad version of the Terminator if when he went to the phone book when he goes to the beginning, he just looks down for Waterman. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, what? Pete Waterman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you shot me, train Are you set. Stuck. <laughs> <laughs> shot me train set that'd be that image wouldn't it when it first when he first pulls up in the car he'd drive over a little toy train <laughs> yeah. crunch yeah right there we go we're going to take a quick break as ever we've still got three more games to get through uh, um, yeah. god knows what they're like but we'll come back to them in a moment and when we'll see you in a bit We're back. We've got three more games. Let's just do it. Do. Let's get into the first one. The first one, Graham, is I. We had Wicked before the before the music, <laughs> and now we've got Eye of Horus. Eye of Horus. It's the bodybuilding Birdman. Finally, we get to we get to play his game. It is. Um, <laughs> welcome to Eye of Horus. This is a Denton Designs game. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, not seen them for a while, have we? Um, no. It was published by Logotron, and the credits for this are numerous. Oh. Project management was Ali Noble. Coder for the C64 was Paul Tweddle. The graphics were by Colin Groons, Ed Knight, Ali Noble, and Paul Salmon. The music's by Fred Gray. Egyptian mythos research was by John Heap. And the package design right. was by Simon Smith at Dancing Bear. Whilst the cover artwork, old birdhead ban, was uh, by <laughs> Junior Tomlin. And the okay. documentation was by Tony Beckwith. Goodness, everyone's had a hand in this one. I know, that's a lot of people for this. It is. Four people did the graphics. <laughs> Just as copious as the production is the story, which probably goes to show that some real good research went into Egyptian mythos. So I'm going to read this straight <laughs> from the manual. Long, long ago, before the time of mortal men, gods walked the earth. One such god, Osiris, reigned as a benevolent king amongst the sweltering yellow lands of Egypt. Under Osiris's reign, everyone was happy and the land flourished. But some were jealous, and it was set... His half-brother became overwhelmed by this evil. Somehow, Set persuaded Osiris to lie in a chest. And when he lay there, Set nailed the lid shut and then had it sent out into the Nile. When word reached Osiris's wife, Isis, of Set's evil deed, she set out to find the chest, and with the aid of Anubis, she found it washed up down river. Opening the chest, the beautiful Isis found her dying king, and in their closeness, conceived a child. Never heard it described that, that way before. She tried to hide the body of her husband, but it was rediscovered by Set, who tore the corpse into seven pieces and scattered them throughout the land. Later... Isis gave birth to a son and named him Horus. As Horus grew older, he vowed to avenge his father's death and set out to destroy Set. Whilst Isis could not rest until every piece of her late husband had been properly placed in a sarcophagus, Isis managed to do this, and Osiris, with his body whole once more, moved on from the earth to the heavens. <laughs> Meanwhile, Horus's struggle continued, and after much battling, victory was his, and Set was finally destroyed. Many aeons later... <laughs> Oh, here we this go. goes on. In the time of men, a tomb of an unknown king lie buried deep in the Sahara. It's not in Egypt anyway. Is it Sahara in Egypt? I don't know. Lost to men for many thousands of years. Within this tomb were held captive the souls of the dead buried there. They had waited, hopefully, for their god Osiris to release them to the promised afterworld for many millennia. Mm. But as time passed, their hope was replaced by desperation. They called for Osiris, then they screamed for him. 
but Osiris did not come. <laughs> the great Osiris was indeed listening, but he could not release them, for they had made a dreadful mistake. The men oh, who no. had made the tomb had painted many hieroglyphical murals on the walls in tribute to their god, but in their rush to finish the tomb before the king's death, the men had neglected to finish the most important mural. Idiots. It was that which told of Sorry. how Set had deceived Osiris and of how Horus was conceived. The mural did not tell of the restoration of Osiris's body and his ascension to the heavens or of Horus's eventual victory over Set. Only one solution remained. Osiris looked down to the tomb and breathed life into the wall paintings in the hope that Horus could once more defeat Set. Slowly, with the aches of thousands of years, the figures shifted. Horus, Isis, Anubis, and the dreaded Set were allowed to battle as they had done so long ago. Set, realising that Horus was once more out to destroy him, took the body of the unknown king from the burial chamber and tore it into seven pieces and scattered the pieces throughout the tomb. He knew that with the unknown king's body in pieces, Osiris could not give Horus the strength to defeat him. He then retreated to the <laughs> lowest depths of the tomb, tainting the now animated hieroglyphs with his own evil as he went. When at last he reached the very bottom of the tomb, he hid and waited. This time, he would win. Osiris looked down <laughs> to the tomb with great dismay. He could do nothing now but await the outcome. Mm. Then there's a whole section on the gods, which I'm not going to read. It's just loads <laughs> of them. There's loads of this in the manual. We'll, we'll link to it in the manual, just so you can go over and read it yourself. Help yourself to some Egyptian gods goodness, if you fancy it. Onto the game, then. The manual lays out your task thus. You control Horus on the side of good against the evil set. Isis and Anubis will aid you as best they can, but you'll need to find the right amulets to be able to summon them. Inside the confines of the tomb, you must locate and return all seven of the pieces of the Unknown King's body to the burial chamber, and then reconstitute the pieces. You'll then receive, a, you'll receive the strength that you need to confront Set. To complete this dual task, you must discover and learn how to use all of the found weapons and amulets, which will increase your powers and aid you. You will need fast reflexes and quick thinking to guide Horus properly. Okay, so when the game loads, uh, we get a simple title screen with the logo at the top of a scroll. This scroll depicts the game's high scores. There's not mm. a lot going on here. Beneath this, we get the UI for the game itself. Again, UI on the title screen. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Pressing fire starts the game. There's some music as well, some Fred Gray music, Egyptian-style music. It's not great. It's just all right. It's what it is. So the game itself is a 2D wanderathon, basically. You play Horus trying to find the various amulets across the map and also the bits of your dead, that this dead king that you're trying to sort of find and get parts of, seven of them. The game takes up most of the screen. The UI at the bottom is made up of two parts. The top part is a scarab on a piece of string. It starts on the right, moves to the left as you take damage. Essentially, it's your health bar. So as the scarab, should it reach all the way to the left, then you lose one of your three lives. And these are indicated by a series of small anks. Just there, just anks. Small just anks. anks. Anking around. Anking around. There's also your score and a large open space where the various amulets you can collect are displayed. The controls are simple enough, but allow you to change from your normal Horus guys into a much more manoeuvrable bird form. This reminded me of that dwarf and duck thing we played a little bit. Mm. Um, cause simple, similar thing. So you can walk around. So if you left, if you move left and right, left and right, make Horus clomp his way in that direction. He's a bit of a clomper, isn't he? In this, he's a bit of a clomper as he walks. He is very heavy footed. Yeah. He's very heavy footed. Maybe it's the echo of the, uh, the sort of pyramid and the, <laughs> the, wherever he's in, but it's a bit of a clomper. The chambers themselves are nav navigated by a series of lifts. And when you're on them, if you press up or down, then it will move that way. It can only move that way though, if it's unlocked and if it can actually move in that direction, but you won't know that. Because so there won't be ground underneath it when you're at the bottom. There'll still be an open space. You just says so if you can't go that way, you can't go that way. You just have to try. 
Some lifts, though, are locked and need to be activated by using the right coloured key. Pressing up on the joystick anywhere but on a lift will transform you into a bird and you can fly about and shoot the enemies that spew forth to attack you from the objects in the level. These are those magical hieroglyphs that they breathe life into, so they'll sort mm. of spew out these hieroglyphical shapes that'll just fly around like craziness, just constantly spawning enemies. This is one of those games where you clumpily walk about, well, <laughs> or fly about, and constantly spawning enemies attack you. It's like I've been transported yep. back to 1986. <laughs> um, speaking of the amulets, there are quite a lot of them 19 of them in fact so the way you use the amulets basically when you pick them up in that big empty bar on the ui at the bottom if you pull down and press fire while you're not on a lift you get this little square that appears in this sort of thing and you can move across so if you've collected amulets they appear there if you move the square over them press fire you can use them and they do loads of different things there's 19 of them to collect they are the amulet of the heart that's the seat of the power of life and the source of good and evil thoughts this amulet complete with its magical inscriptions will summon isis only when she can help horus Amulet of the Sam. This is the typical Egyptian representation of a penis. It will summon Anubis (laughs) to aid Horus with a gift. There you go. There's the Amulet of the Buckle. The Buckle of Isis protects the wearer from him that would do unto him anything that he holdeth in abomination. (laughs) Archaeologists have taken this to mean the passing of water upon a foe. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Amulet of the Scarab. (laughs) An insect of remarkable power. Its ability uh, ability to roll balls of dung along the ground was associated with rolling the sun around the heavens. It's believed that if a god had such powers, he would be most awesome indeed. You have to find out what these things do just by using them. Mm. That's if you can find them, that is. Amulet of the Eye of Horus. Representation of the sun. It's said that no evil could stand in the way of strong light. There's the Amulet of the Soul, a human-headed hawk made of gold inlaid with precious stones. Amulet of the Tet. This represents the tree trunk that Isis used to conceal the body of her dead husband. Amulet of the Pillow. This pillow is found placed under the neck of a mummy in a coffin. The Amulet of Two Fingers. This represents index and medius fingers. Use it with care to temporarily vanquish all that lurks. There's the Amulet of the Shin, or Shen, I can't remember if I pronounce that. A symbol of eternity used to incapacitate new foes. Amulet of the Vulture. The power of Isis as the Divine Mother is given to Horus with his symbol. It can be used to vanquish Set's minions. Amulet of the Serpent's mm. Head. The power of Isis as a Divine Mother is also given to Horus with his symbol. Like the Amulet of the Vulture, it can be used to vanquish Set's minions. But only work in different areas of the tomb to the Vulture. Amulet of the Collar of Gold. When worn around the neck, this holy symbol free a man's soul from his body for a short time. Amulet of the Papyrus Scepter. This amulet turns light, water, and dung to papyrus. Amulet of the ladder. This ladder is used to escape from earth to heaven from the top of a mountain where the two are closest. Amulet of the nefer. This amulet, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not reading everything in the description of these. This amulet is in the form of a musical instrument and represents good luck. The amulet of the menat. When worn around the neck of ca- or carried in the hand, this symbol represents good health. And finally, the amulet of the steps. These steps up to the throne of Osiris in his heaven are used to examine a situation from a distance. And there's also the amulet of the frog. Teeming with life and resurrection, this symbol gives Horus new life. There are also keys. As well as the 19 amulets, there are also eight keys of various colours, yellow, red, green and blue, scattered about the tomb, which Horus must use to unlock various lifts. These lifts give access to the various sections of the tomb. What we have here is a kind of, I think, upon playing it and sort of trying to sort of think, you know, you should get powers and you get keys to open up new ways and stuff through it. I think this is like a Metroidvania. Really? I think I suppose, so. Yeah, yeah. It's got a vibe, I suppose. Because so, you're kind of moving up and down through these lifts and you're fighting and there's constant enemies and you're finding stuff. When you find stuff, these keys, they open up new ways through. I mean, that's not new powers, but it's kind of that Metroid style of sort of navigation where finding stuff opens up new places and things like that. But really, you, you know, you've got to make you, you know, you've got to make a map. 
So you've got to map your way around because there's a huge labyrinth of lifts and passageways as you try and complete your quest. It's very easy to get lost. Very easy. So you need to map this. Um, mm. So the visuals in this, as I said, it's, but what you do essentially is you clump around, you turn into a bird, you fly stuff, you find ambulance, you, you turn on lifts, and you just got to make your way and find these bits of the um, of the dead king and then put them back where you started. The visuals are solidly in the medium res canyon here. Horus is a decent is a decent size, I guess, though. And his animation, though clumpy, it's not terrible, and neither is that of the bird. The animations are all right. They're not bad. The backgrounds are okay, I guess. There's lots of hieroglyphics. There's some nice little effects, like animated torches, and there's some nice shadowing on the objects to give them a bit of depth, like on the chairs and stuff. So it's it's not terrible. It's straight on 2D, but it's, it's all right. It's not, I've seen a lot worse. The enemies are weird and abstract hieroglyphics that sort of float around. Anything from shapes, just weird shapes, to musical notes and the like, and they're just hieroglyphs. The problem with this, though, is it gets very samey. It's very samey. Yes. It's a bit one note. Even when the background color changed, I found myself getting lost very sharpish. So you just go, you, as I said, you need to map this. It's a mapper's delight one if you fancy changing <laughs> chance of getting anywhere. There's only music on the title screen. It reminded me a bit of Fighting Warrior for some reason. It's not yeah, great. I got that vibe. It's not great. It's certainly up there with Fred Gray's best. It's no uh, mission, mission AD or anything like that. The pace of the game is quite slow as well when you're clomping around. If you play as the bird, which you'll probably want to do because the bird can shoot better and can avoid stuff. And really, you just want to fly around and get about this and avoid stuff as quick as you can. Does speed things up somewhat, and that's what you're going to want to do if you're going to want to persevere with this. Um, it was also made for the Amiga, the ST, and DOS. Uh, those those versions look a lot better. But I watched the Amiga version. This feels, if anything, a little bit faster than the Amiga version, mm. as the lifts because the lift in the Amiga version went on for ages. You're going to put these lifts yeah. forever. Um, but this is quite quick, kind of almost mission impossible, uh, impossible mission like. Mm. And the bird feels a bit faster as well. Not that it does any good anyway. Because you're soon going to die, as yeah. you know, due to the unending waves of enemies that spawn at you. It's just and pretty much ruin what could have been like an okay, quite interesting arcade adventure, and turn it mm. just turns it into more of an avoid them up as you fly around as the bird trying to get to the next yeah, lift. Exactly, that's all that. you're going to do. It's a bit of a shame, really. It's an interesting premise here. The story's all right, taken you know from this sort of Egyptian sort of mythos and things. And it doesn't look terrible because it kind of got that, you know, it's taken from the Amiga. There's waves of enemies and your inability to deal with them will just, it'll just quickly put you off. This yeah. kind of game has done a lot better. Something like Sacred Arm of Antiriad. Again, yeah. I mentioned that again for the second time this, this, uh, this week, which I think does it better. And, and I think looks better. And so with this, without those, you know, those cool visuals that you get with the Amiga version, you, no one's going to be playing this for long. It's just, it's, dated the gameplay elements of this are seriously dated um although it tries to be that metroidvania i think i didn't get far enough to to get into it really so fine but it feels like one where you get in the keys and open up new stuff and the powers and the ambulance and things like that that i think it's going to be like that but i just the mapping the walking around the endless spawning enemies Mm. it just feels like a game from like you know 86 87 85 It's, it's set in that period so my comment at the end of this is Denton designs are looking a little more like dated designs at this point. Oh, very good. Yes, true. And the, and that's what I thought. It just feels feels out of time. This feels mm. like games have moved past this already. Um, yeah. And and this and it's a bit of a shame because there's a, there's some stuff to like in here, but not enough to to keep you going because it's just uh, it's just it just doesn't have it. Mm. So there you go. That's the Eye of Horus. It got seventy five percent of the magazine. I think. Mm, bit high probably in the 60s mm. for me low 60s mm. what about you yeah same so 64 game based around the concepts of egypt so you know there's going to be a lot of yellow and brown for a start well yeah 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 a heavy footsteps again a bit of an odd thing isn't it a walk and seek and a flap and seek combined who thought that was a thing covering all your bases i guess a mixture of all of those things graphics though blocky weren't that bad 
it looks Egyptian. That's the, you know, it, it does. It had a, mm. you know, it had a sort of a, an old edge game kind of vibe about it. Entombed, is it? It's got that, it's got that vibe, you know, it, but it's Egypt how it's portrayed in films and TV and that. You walk loudly around, go up lifts, which, you know, lifts, um, collect <laughs> amulets, navigate around a bunch of enemies, you know, not getting endlessly annoyed by them. It's mindless. It's repetitive. It's all a bit one note, isn't it? And the controls mm. felt weirdly ploddy as well. When you when you look at the bird, when you're the bird, it's kind of weirdly flappy, I guess. The sound effects were really odd in it, I found. And the screen got really weirdly busy in terms of color and palette and graphics as well at times. Mm-hmm. 75% is a bit high for it. I'd have given it 50s to 60s, somewhere in that region. It's got that kind of average DOK. And like you said, the key thing here is it's a game that feels like it should have been released in 1987. I think that's a really good summary. It's not unlikable. It's just, it feels a bit dated now. And the concept is quite good, but the implementation is quite average. And so you end up with kind of a, eh, kind of game. Where was the bodybuilding bird head? I wanted that. Where was that guy? <laughs> yeah, where was Why he? Why am I not yeah, controlling hold, that? Holding the snake or whatever he was doing, wasn't he? He's like doing all kinds they of crazy stuff. They could have made stuff. it like uh, that crappy Red Eat game. I could have just been a bird-headed version of that, just punching my way through a, you know, the, the pyramid. <laughs> I'd have, I'd, have, I'd have dug that for a bit, but no, and that was it. So no, I think it could have been a lot better. What they turned out was just average. You know, in an average game, should have got an average score. Seventy five percent is not average. So no, 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 there you go, there you go. That's Eye of Horus. Dated, dated. Let's move on. Still got, st- still got two games to get through. And the next one's over to you, Graham. Once again, it's for your time to uh, be Strider or Strider Hiryu or something, isn't it? It's originally yeah, Strider. Yeah, Strider Hiryu is the Japanese name. This is published by US Gold. It's obviously copyrighted Capcom. It's another arcade conversion. This time converted by take a deep breath, everyone. Tiertex. <laughs> <laughs> we, we know they did such a great version of Street Fighter on the 64, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, coded by Paul Cole, uh, and the musician was Mark Tate. So, like we said, Strider was released in Japan as Strider Hiryu. It's, a hack and, it's classified as a hack and slash platform game, um, and it was released in the arcades, it says, in 1989 by Capcom. So it's pretty recent arcade. All right. Mm-hmm. The arcade is set in a dystopian future where Earth is ruled by the tyrannical Grandmaster Mayo. <laughs> Did make me laugh that. <laughs> Simon Mayo, maybe, but who knows. It maybe. follows the titular Strider named Hiryu as he attempts to end his tyrannical reign for good. The game resulted from cooperation between Capcom and manga publisher Moto Kikaku. I'm guessing they're very famous manga things. I don't know a lot about manga at all. It marked the video game debut of Strider Hiryu, of course, the character, and it was introduced in the 1988 manga Strider Hiryu. So so it's based on a manga character. Big deal in Japan, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Now it says in the wiki, and I don't know about this, but it says Strider's gameplay is cited as a major influence on the video game franchises Ninja Gaiden, Devil May Cry and God of War. I didn't really get that from this, certainly not from the 64 version, but anyway, it became one of Capcom's early hits, praised for its innovative gameplay, diverse and unique music, and multilingual voice samples. All the things that you want your game to be praised for. Out of all those things you put in there, the multilingual voice samples <laughs> is the one thing you want to be praised for, right? The, the guy yeah. who did those samples is like, someone finally recognises my talents. <laughs> yes, front row. <laughs> told you, told you, coders. Now, the scenario for the 64 game is fantastically short. <laughs> is it shorter than Girls and Ghosts? Uh, it's, in, it's in the same, re- same, it's a paragraph. I'll give it that, it's oh, a paragraph. God. It says, the scenario is, as Strider, and it took about taking all the magnificence of the manga and just reducing it down to its bare minimum here. Okay. As Strider, your task is to infiltrate the Russian Red Army and return enemy secrets to your superiors. Your mission begins in Red Square. 
And after fighting off KGB attacks there, you must battle your way to the snow-capped peaks of Siberia to confront both the elements and the enemy. If you survive this icy test, your orders are to proceed to the southern lowlands where jungle tribes lurk with spears and poison arrows. Then return to Moscow to face the Grand Master of the Red Army. The future of the Western world depends on your success in this ultimate confrontation. There you go. Hope you enjoyed oh, okay. that. Yeah, yeah, I did. That's it. That's, nice. your, that's your cracker. Cool. So Strider was released on pretty much everything. And I actually remember the Amiga version more than the C64 one, and not for good reasons, because it had really awful sound, as I recall, and a really annoying sound effects scape. Really annoying sound. So with this kind of, sound when you were, you know, so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, play the game for long enough and that will do your head in. No, no, I can see you twitching already. Oh, just, oh, it's like, God, it's like awful. So this game, there's an okay loading screen. It's not terrible. It's very blue, but it's all right. And the title screen has another version of the game logo, which is slightly different to the one that's in the loading screen, but okay. And Strider's Sword with some stars appears. Some basic options, music and sound effects if you want it, and start the game. Nothing too troublesome about that. Aside from music, which is a bit twiddly, but it is a version of the arcade music but very twiddly, a very twiddly version. Uh-huh. Anyway, you start the game and you'll see your screen is pretty much split into two halves. The top half is your game area. The bottom is your UI with your score, your timer countdown and lives. I'm not sure of the number scheme for your countdown. It's counting down from something like <laughs> 806 or something. It's really odd. <laughs> yeah. 806 what? I don't know, but just counting down. And it, and it starts the countdown even as you fly in at the start of the game, which cheats you out of time because you can't, do anything at that bit it's just the begin where you should so it should really start the minute you land and get you playing. sort of fly in the game and get playing but it doesn't it starts as soon as the game starts you're getting cheated out of valuable time there i don't like that mm-hmm. but anyway what does it matter and that starts that starts the same way the arcade does and i'm now it doesn't look the same as the arcade i'm saying it starts the same just to be clear there yeah, yeah. you control strider with the joystick <laughs> Control is a word. Directions, movement, and jumping, etc. Fire button uses your weapon, which is a kind of... I think it's meant to be his sword, isn't it? Flashing his sword. But it's kind of a fire streak thing. It's sort of... I'm guessing that may be a manga thing. I don't know. Maybe that's part of it. But on the C64, it just looks like he farts out a giant like fire line. The novel part of Strider was that you could climb up the walls, hang from the under platforms, and you could be quite acrobatic in the arcade game. Yes, um, you got this mighty leap that you could somersault and enables you to jump pretty far, albeit kind of slowly. And that's the in the arcade. Some of that's in the C sixty four version, not all of it, and not all of it in the same kind of frame rate. In fact, not very good frame rates generally. <laughs> oh, the frame rate. So it's kind of slow frames, and you can also slide along the floor kind of slowly and sort of methodically. <laughs> and when you hit enemies, you know bad things happen. I'll talk about that in a moment, but. The backdrop here is is a, the, a brown based relief version of the arcade level, which is meant to be some kind of Russian base. Like Moscow. Moscow has never looked that brown, I'm sure of it. Not <laughs> ever, but here it is. It's brown Russia. It's called Red Square. It's Red Square. It's brown square. <laughs> it's Russia. It's, it's completely in Russia. <laughs> um, so it's, it's not the most amazing thing. Okay. But it, I suppose it's passable enough for what it is in the context of this. It's passable, but it isn't good. The levels and colors, etc., change as you progress through the game. They all have a nice kind of C64 medium res quality, blocky, but tolerable, I guess you might call it, sort of blocky shading it's not great looking i have to say which is the arcade was famously quite good looking Um, Mm. and it's a capcom game so you know the pixel painting is going to be amazing because they kind of became famous for that not this one though not this no forget (laughs) that as you walk slide jump whatever from left to right or right and up down a bit like you know goes goes and ghosts in this but you got to kind of go right and up or down you'll encounter enemies which you can slide into or hit with your sword thing 
they'll explode in a large flash of embiggened pixels, which is not very pretty on the eye. <laughs> um, it's really quite bad. <laughs> so it's just you know, these giant sprite splats go, like, ah, God, no, never expand a sprite like that ever. No. Um, there's also items you can pick up that will rotate around you and act as a kind of weapon shield type thing. They go spinning around you. So that's out of the arcade as well. They're a bit like the Nemesis R-type things that sort of rotate around your ship in those kind of shooters, that kind of logic. So it's, you know, it's sort of an extra thing. And I think we've seen a couple of other games of this type that have that kind of thing. So, you know, okay, it's one of them. And that, as I said, is the same as the arcade. The main sprite is pretty big. And I guess it looks like a C64 version of the arcade Strider on the whole. So imagine a C64 version of this, not done very well. And it's pretty much, as you imagine it in your mind, it's all the brown. It's going to be all the brown. Um, it, it. It's Now, it, he is quite well realized in its own way, in the way that it's drawn. It's obviously lower in colours and distinctly lacking animation frames, which is a big problem here. I don't know what's going on with the animators at this episode, but they just, <laughs> they just got bored of doing animation. Yeah, And the same is true of the enemies you face as well. The, you know, the mini-bosses, which are actually mini here. So you've got mini-bosses that are mini. In the game, in the arcade game, the, the mini-bosses are actually quite big. They're bigger characters. They're Capcom, they're Capcom characters. So mm-hmm. if you imagine the Capcom characters of late 80s, 90s arcade games by Capcom, if that's Street Fighter kind of characters, those big, bulky, muscular kind of enemies, you know, the Hagger of this world, you know, those kind of characters, um, uh-huh. and all the things that are in, um, the ones that are in Final Fight, those kind of things. But in the C64 version of Strider, they've all kind of minuscule, they've been shrunked. So they don't quite have the same gravitas, you know, they're kind of the, much bigger than you, which is a bit naff. So the background all lack details and any fine pixel details, like I said, they're okay, but they, they're not detailed, which means they're just giant slabs of colour. And you get this weird slowdown effect on it. So, And this is all the way through the game, and it's, it seems to be whenever you move. So if you're moving and walking, okay, fine. It's it's relatively unjerky. But if you jump, aside from the fact that your jump is essentially just staged frames of animation, it goes, <laughs> That's oh, so oh, funny. Oh. <laughs> and it sort of does that in the arcade, but with more flow. With this, it's just kind of, it's like they've drawn five stages of animation and no frames in between. So it just, goes through the frames of animation yeah and the screen starts to stutter when you do that so things generally the whole game starts to sort of stutter and, and judder a bit and when you're using your weapon for example if you slide into an enemy it's the whole game just sort of momentarily freezes and that that isn't good you know that's 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 just the sign of some bad code going on and it does kill what little action there is in the game it has to be said really because when that starts to happen in a game that's principally about running jumping and diving on things you know you need to be able to do those things you know properly the in-game music is a version of the arcade it isn't bad it sounds like the arcade and i guess it drives things on but it repeats a lot and gets really annoying very quickly because of that but the key issue with this really all said and done is how dry it is and that's partially because the arcade is a bit dull but also because the c64 version doesn't have a lot in it now that yeah there's levels to walk through and you know leap jump through whatever but there's the occasional enemy here and there something to pick up maybe but it's pedestrian and there's no imperative to push you on in this. It's not an easy game, but it lacks any real incentive to get to the end. And the end of the levels are all pretty dull. When you get to the bosses, they're kind of minuscule. Not, it lacks the bigness, the bigness that is required of this to make it feel like mm. you, you're aiming towards things. And then it fills the rest of it with brown emptiness. So large slabs of brown that you just kind of float around. You can climb on the walls, but there's other problems with the logic of it. There's so few enemies and things to fight. It feels more like a walk through some blocky base relief version of Russia that nobody wants to go to. Um, it needed more. It needs more to be exciting. Now, the, the game has more in it, and it isn't a very good game, but the more in it part makes it a little bit more exciting to go through. A bit like Final Fight does. You know, Final Fight's kind of one-note game, really. But it's got lots of variety of characters and stuff in it going on. So you mm-hmm. get kind of, you know, you get kind of that. And that's what Strider has, but not the C64 version. It's devoid of that. 
I think there's maybe two or th- maybe two, three tops enemy types in this that, that, that periodically sort of stagger on for no real reason whatsoever. Not very exciting that. And also you can, um, when you get to sort of the fight, sort of the more, the, what you call the bigger bosses, they're really laughable. I mean, the final bosses are just single frame animation things. Just one great big slab of thing that just hop around. It, blo- it hops and not even animated hops. It just sort of goes up, down, across, up. It's really bad. It's like they didn't put any thought into any kind of smooth animating of any of the characters in this. It just feels like it's almost, it's almost feels like a, a test version of the game that they never put the full animation into. It just, it's not, it feels unfinished actually in a, in a weird way like that. Mm. And to the point when you can climb the walls in this, which is a good thing, but you should be able to hang from platforms, which I couldn't do on the C64 version. And I don't know if that's just because I didn't do it right. You can't, I can't do it. It's a key part of the game of Strider is to be able to climb and hang and, because you can hang on the platform. The second big snake boss you get when all those sort of people form is that boss in the arcade. You you hang on around them and climb on them and stuff. And exactly. I don't know if you can do that in this, but I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I mean, because yeah, the idea is you can climb onto the bottom of these platforms and wait while the enemies go backwards and forwards and spring onto the top and attack. Yeah. You can't do that here. So you just sort of jump through the platforms. That's a massive omission, considering yeah. everything else is kind of half-assed. It's there, but it's half-assed, but it is kind of there. I also found the collision detection on this was well off. So oh, yeah. sometimes you jump and you you get caught up on things. It wouldn't respond very well. And because it's that laughable one-frame jumping exercise, it means that it doesn't feel like you're really doing much of anything. It keeps the pace too slow. Now, the arcade has got speech and, like I said, award-winning speech, it seems, and lots of <laughs> Capcom, you know, pixel art. And that's a good thing because that's what kind of it's famous for. It has a Capcom look and feel, and that gives the game a kind of feel and an edge that Capcom games become famous for. Add to that the kind of funky music that's in the arcade. It's got kind of a very soundtrack by quite a famous guy, I think. Go and download the soundtrack, and it is, you know, of its time. And all that manga styling, which makes, you know, which would make this a massive hit probably in Japan, but obviously elsewhere. But the audience wasn't quite there for the manga stuff, I don't think, in the early 90s. Maybe it was a little, but it certainly wasn't something that came to the fore in the UK, I think, until much later. So I don't know that Strider would have had the resonance that it would have probably have had in Japan if it's based on big famous manga art and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. nor did it look like that either. It just looks like a brown kind of C64 game with not much in it. We've seen games like this before on the 64. Lots of expansive brown backgrounds with a character walking around with not much else in it. And it doesn't make for a very exciting game. So the C64 version is too empty to be any fun, too pedestrian to make it entertaining. And most, perhaps most of all, it doesn't make you want to progress there's no reason or rationale to go through this game. It's just boring. You think, well, by the time you got halfway through the first level, it's exactly, it feels like you're just going endlessly through the same thing. And then when you get to the second level, it's, it's principally the same. And even the boss fights, yes, they're there, but they're not very good and they're not very exciting. Nor are they particularly challenging when, they, when they're there. They're just a bit naff. And then you've got those collision problems, the lack of animation frames. This is a bad conversion. So this is clearly made by people that had no passion for making this version of this game. You know, the best you can say of this really is it kind of looks sort of like strider maybe maybe it plays a little bit like it from you know at least a little tiny bit but i never really thought much of the arcade i never liked the amiga version because of that annoying sound the c64 one is a classic example to me of an arcade conversion done because it was required to be done but there's no passion there's no care in it it's probably done to fulfill some kind of contractual thing so and that's as much time as it was given now fill it full of brown stick a character in that does the basics of the arcade stick a couple of enemies in and then people who like strider and know about it will probably pay 10 quid for that jobs are good and that's the us gold way isn't it it's not a very exciting game and damn well didn't deserve the bloody 42 percent i'd have given it a lot lower than that i know 42 is not a great score 
But for what this is, I'd have been given this the 20s. This isn't a great conversion of an arcade at all. It's it's passable, but there's no love in it, and it shows. What did you think? So much slow down, <laughs> can't yeah, move, or jump with so much slow down. Oh, this is bloody awful. <laughs> it ain't good. I'm not a massive fan of the original arcade game. It, it was all right. I've never been one of my favourites. But from a distance... And, you know, with myopic vision, this might be recognisable as Strider. It's bloody awful to play. Awful. Just dreadful. And I want to come back to something as well. What colour is Strider? This is, we got sort of, someone said, oh, the Strider crapvert that we put out the other week uh, when we looked at the crapvert. When he's in red top with a gold cod piece, yeah? What colour does Strider wear? What's his colour's his suit? Blue, is it? Yeah. There's no red or gold. <laughs> No. So the, the the contempt that you could lay at US Gold is because they they had that advert that came out where he's in yellow and he's in red and red and gold and black. That's not Strider, mm. and he's got no. a sword with multiple blades and stuff. None of that since that's not Strider. None of it. No. It's not it's not Strider. So rubbish, 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 rubbish. It goes to the advert through to the game. There's so little care and thought about the original product. It's got a nice title screen. Well, one little bit I liked about the title screen, it's got stars in the border, <laughs> which is weird. <laughs> but once in the game, this is neither responsive nor fast. It's the opposite of those words. Whatever the, What's the unresponsive, I guess? And slow. It's unresponsive and slow, and it's not anything. It has nothing that made the arcade in any way enjoyable if you did like it. Like I said, not a massive fan, but it's, it's okay to play, but not something that really sort of sticks in my mind. It, I guess there's some respectable this in that the level layout is a bit like the arcade and you like you come in on the, uh, the the hang glide and stuff. But again, it's like they're trying to do that thing where in the arcade it comes in quite fast and so it comes in and you, the, the animation's quite fast. In this, it comes in so slow so that the, the gaps between the frames of animation are just like... Uh, 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 uh. It's just <laughs> rubbish. You can't release this in this state. It's not It's it's not finished. It's not. It's it's way. No. It's clearly very unoptimized. The, yep. the multiplexer is just broken with stuff all over the place. I would also just die for no reason quite a few times. I just die. Yeah. And that you know when you drop down that big sort of uh, drop and that in the arcade that guy sort of rolls at you. The sort of guy with this. I just laughed my head off at the C sixty four version of that. I was like, what is this? This is awful. There's a bit as well where you have to climb a slope and there's a load of guns shooting at you. But because you're so slow and you walk with that stupid knee-high walk that's terribly done in this version, you just get mm. shot to death. And you just it's just beyond a joke, this. It's its dreadful. This is one of the worst conversions I've played in ages. Um, genuinely god-awful. Teatex managed to out-Teatex themselves. Mm, I thought this was bloody dreadful. Strider, shiter, more like. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just crap. Yeah. Just just awful. It's just crap. It's just bloody awful. Out of my sight, Strider. You are garbage. There's no. <laughs> we've done played games like this that are mm. way better. Bionic Commando yep. and stuff like that. We've done these sort of things. This could be better. But they keep trying to do these things where they're like, oh, I don't know. It's just crap. Yeah, it, it, it gave me Rastan vibes. This It's that kind of emptiness. And that at least had more enemies in it, but... Just the, these, look, you know, we've had a lot of these walking left to right games, and if they haven't got many things in them, then what's the point? You just, you know, it's just a boring walk. Yeah. So. There's, there's such a gulf happening this point between the arcades that are coming out and what the C64 can actually do yep. to represent them that it's becoming every time we're playing them, it's like, oh, yeah. Unless they're really good, like Rainbow Islands, but then Rainbow Islands was done a year before that, or they're quite simple single screen stuff, but so yeah. much crap. Or they're just the weird stuff, but this is garbage. No, yep. rubbish. Let's move on. We've still got one game left. Let's get away from Strider slowly.
And our next game, our last game for this week, is another S game. This is Snare. Mm. This comes from Thalamus. This is a Thalamus yeah. game. Uh, Snare, and this got 88%. Must be pretty good. Mm. So let's find out. Snare was programmed by Rob Stevens. He also did the visuals. He was also the coder on Barbarian 2. Okay. Okay. That's, okay. That's some good uh, stuff. Yeah, and the, so it's a it's a team of Rob Stevens doing the coding and visuals and music by Martin Walker. That's a mm. decent team, decent pairing. Yeah. Let's see what we've got. Presentation here is top-notch. Top-notch from the outset. I thought the yeah, presentation throughout this is. is great. As the game loads, we get a short briefing delivered to us as a, like a contender in Snare. So I'll, I'll go through the um, story in a little bit. Um, so I like this world building from the outset, this kind of notion yeah. that, you know, welcome into the world of Snare. You are a contender. You're coming into this and you need to know these things. It does a good yeah. job of setting the scene and placing us in this world. It's make, so it makes us kind of remember information that wouldn't be available to us when we're in the game world. Kind of uses that meta sort of outline thing where like when the game is loading, sort of as if you're entering the world, like there's your information you're going to need. Remember this because we're not going to tell you it from mm. within, which is kind of interesting. So we're told, of the, we're told of the different tile types that exist in the world, what teleports bonuses and switches look like, and we get an explanation of the UI and the size of the screen. There's quite a lot to take in, but you'll you'll take it in and you'll get used to it. And that's the whole point, isn't it? You've kind of got to go in and you've got to sort of learn on the fly what these kind of things do. And you remember, oh, that does that, this is this. So whilst this is on screen, we also get a great piece of music from Martin Walker. Um, nice and atmospheric. He's gone, he stopped making games at this point. Citadel is his last one. He just goes to make music from this point in and he does a lot of good music. And they thought this was a really good piece of music. I mean, it's in the same episode as, unfortunately, it's in the same episode as Ghouls and Ghosts, but it's still a, a, a well-made, well, it's very Martin Walker. He has a certain sound, doesn't he? A sort of sort of you know sound that he has and or kind of, but it's one of them uh found similar to citadel and it just lends it a great sense of atmosphere so it's a great opening once we think we've got it all memorized we're into the game and the great presentation here continues we get a nice logo the thalamus logo we get high scores and credits and then we get a series of screens explaining our craft and its ability to move sort of a little sort of animated sort of um thingy on the left of the screen as it goes through each one what it can do so it's a, so how it moves how it jumps um, and how you can lay a trail out behind it. And again, while all this is going on, it's another great piece of Walker music. So the you know this is really getting us into the feel of this game, sort of telling us it. It's got the hallmarks of a Thalamus game, I thought. And from the outset, mm. I got a real Qdex vibes from this. Yeah, there was there was there was that kind of feel to it. Pressing fire yeah, gets yeah. us into round one. And it sort of, again, it, it invites us in. And here, here the game starts. And we, before we get in, we get information about the level. We get types of the bonus that's available for the level. These come in different, like, live, score, all this kind of thing. We get the gravity. It tells us, the you know, how much gravity there is there. Atmospheric pressure, the surface type, whether it's rough, smooth. And we get the magnetic and EMP levels, along with any system failures due to various factors. All these things feed into how the level plays out. They're all necessary, and they're all sort of work in tandem as we get into the game once we've taken this in pressing fire gets us into the game itself but hold up a second what is this game what is snare so what's the story and i'm going to tell you what the story is graham so here's the story a dead mm -hmm. man's killing joke in 2049 mm. andre thelman one of the world's three richest men died during the last 10 years of his life he had a maze built into a temporal cavity in the gardens of his home temporal cavity oh it sounds painful it does. This maze, called the Snare, is formed of 20 independent areas floating in a void, linked by concealed teleports and guarded by robots. The surface of these areas are covered with pressure-sensitive tiles of various types, but with different environmental effects. Only Thelma knew the required route through each maze, and hence all the solutions to the Snare. 
rumor has it, that before he died, he entered the snare one last time, taking with him one of his most valued possessions to leave hidden there. Many have wondered what this item might be. Some say a diamond. Others think it is gold, even deeds to the mm. Thelman Empire. No one knows, as everyone who has entered the snare has never returned. Over the next couple of years, the challenge increased in popularity. Despite the all-too-obvious danger, the snare was developed into a giant arena. Overhead cameras were installed, and every attempt globally televised, carefully edited so as not to give anything away. After all, once the prize was taken, no more shows would be possible. Each competitor enters the maze in a hover ship armed with a plasma cannon, and is teleported into Area 1 with only minimal information to go on. Will you be the one to overcome the challenge, or will you be snared? <laughs> there you go. So that's what it is. It's a big game show, and you're basically going in to try and find, get to all 20 levels to find out what is at the centre, what is the secret at the, the centre of the snare. So you've decided to enter. As the game starts, your craft is beamed into the first level. So the game itself takes up the center of the display. It's kind of, um, it kind of takes up a big square in the middle of the screen. Um, and the UI, as we've sort of seen in the instructions, exists on either side. So we've got the two bars, which are UI elements. Quite nicely shaded, well done. There are many elements to the UI, and these were all explained when the game is loading, as I said. But to save you the hassle, I'll try to remember him. I'll just go for what they are. So on the left, from top to bottom, you've got a scanner, um, showing you any kind of enemies around. You've got a compass. You'll need the compass, and I'll tell you why in a bit. You've got a speedo to sort of check how much how fast you go, and there's an engine output bar, the jump power bar, and the bonus type. On the right, from top to bottom, you've got your score. Then towards the bottom, there's the cannon charge, the trail energy, and the number of craft remaining. Okay, These will all be important as you progress your way through, and they'll all be affected, as I said, by different elements that are sort of set up in the world itself. Mm. So this is the world itself, the game itself, is seen from a top-down view. So this is a straight-on top-down view, and your ship moves over a tiled background. Now, controls are different to normal. So as you start moving up and down, because this game uses a 90-degree snap system, which is quite confusing at first. So up and down speed you up and slow you down. You can stop to a dead stop, or you can speed up and you go quite fast. That's dangerous, if you don't know the mazes but sort of thing. But, you know, it is what it is. Left and right, though, snap your view 90 degrees in that direction. So this mm-hmm. means you're always moving up the screen. You never yeah. deviate from moving up the screen, so it's quite unusual. But you'll be t- you are turning. You're just turning the world. So you're turning the view of the yeah. world around rather than your craft itself takes a little bit of getting used to, okay? Um, so that's why you need to use your compass on the UI because that tells you whether you're moving northeast, south, or west, northeast, uh, south, or west. So, so that tells you that. So that tells you whether you're going up, down, left, or right in the level. You can get a kind of sense of where you need to go. It takes mm. some time to get used to. A snapping is instantaneous, and I do mean instantaneous. You can, And it, it's fast, really impressive code-wise sort of thing because it's like you know, the whole screen just flips, just changes 90 degrees, and you can just press it really quickly. And it's no, no. Judah, there's no slow. It's just, you're like, wow, that's really impressive. Um, after a while, you kind of get used to it. I did anyway, but you know, you may not. Mm-hmm. You can also jump by pressing down with the fire button held down. So you hold the fire button um, and, oh, is it press up? It might be up. Uh, uh, you press the fire button. Um, uh, is it oh, is it down for the fire? Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, press the fire button and I think it's either press up or down and you jump. The opposite direction that will start to lay the trail behind you. Um, and you can shoot by tapping the fire button. So those are the controls. Mm-hmm. They snap left and right, move up and down, hold down the fire button, jump, lay a trail. Some of the tiles on the level are plain. Most of them are plain. They kind of have this sort of bas relief sort of styling. They're kind mm-hmm. of little sort of squares. Um, and you can just fly over these, but others affect your craft in numerous ways. So there are arrows, and if you go over them, they will they will snap you to move in that direction. So if they're pointing left and you move over them, you'll instantly snap in that. You know, you'll they'll suddenly be moving to to the left. 
you got to be careful of them because you've got to work out which way and you can't get off them. They will, you're trapped in that direction going that way while you're on them. There are local teleports, which will teleport you somewhere else in the level. There are bonuses that gives you a bonus, which would be described in the bonus for the level. And there are switches, which change stuff in the level. Now, the switches as well can be used in multiple different ways. Different switches will affect different ways. And if you hit them in different orders, they will do different things. So you've got to work out which switches to hit in certain levels in which way. Mm -hmm. Tricky. There are also colored tiles as well. So red tiles force you into minimum speed, so they slow you down to your minimum speed. Green tiles force you to your maximum speed. Very dangerous, like bad dates. Dark blue tiles fix your speed at what it is. So if you're going in there really fast, you're going to stay fast. You can't slow down. Light blue tiles fix your speed and prevent you from turning. Even worse. Purple tiles prevent you from turning uh, just on its own. So you can still speed and slow down, but you can't get off them. And black tiles stop you from jumping and also force you to the ground if you are mid-jump. So... This is the world you're in. You're in. You're in these sort of these little squares. Going over them, do different things, and you've got to make your way through these tiled levels. They're like little mazes, um, and find the exit. So all you've got to do is just find the exit to each level. The levels themselves are suspended in the air, high above a floor. There are holes in the floor as well, which you can fall down. You'll lose a life. Um, and there are walls as well. If you don't fly into the walls, because they destroy you as well, costing you another life. You can jump over the holes can't jump over the walls i found there are also enemy craft patrolling the levels these can be shot or jumped over or trapped by laying the trail behind you be careful though because as you will also die if you snap around or you come back and go into your own trail you will die if you hit it it reminded Mm. me of um it kind of like the uh light cycles in tron a little bit yeah um sort of that's that kind of idea so the purpose of each level is simply to progress there's nothing else to it. you just got to find the exit, which will move you onwards to the next more difficult snap. There are different exits as well. So I found on the first level, I found an exit which took me to level three, skipping level two. So there are bonus exits and secret ones that you can find to make you get, get um, you know, to get you through the game faster, which is quite cool. The aim of the game, so like I said, is just to make it through all 20 levels. I think it's load in four batches, batches of four at a time. So it's a multi-load, they're four and four at a time. And just make it through to the ending. Um, and when you do get to the ending, I had to watch what the ending is. You get to find out what was at the heart of the snare. Did you, have you, did you watch the ending? No, I didn't. Okay, I found the ending actually quite amusing, all told. Um, one of the better end sequences on the machine. Go watch it. It's, 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 quite, it's quite amusing. It made me chuckle. And, and that's it. That's Snare. It's quite simple. It's kind of a maze-type puzzler, work it out kind of thing. This, it's visually solid rather than an outstanding at first glance. I think this technically is very clever in what it's doing with that snap thing. And mm. everything moves at a very – it's all scrolling upwards. So it's constantly scrolling, and it's very smooth. The 90-degree switching is flawless at all times, instantaneous as well, which is quite something I said. It feels like a cross between Qdex in its presentation and Ball Blazer with its flipping of the viewpoint. There's those two elements, because in Ball Blazer, you're constantly flapping, switching 90 degrees, aren't you? The level visuals are clear. There's no ambiguity about what you're going on. Everything's really easy and clear to read. You soon learn to read the different tiles and understand what they do, and it all moves very smoothly. I had no problems with anything. No glitches, no flickers or anything inside that I could see. The sound is great throughout, great tunes, decent effects, and the controls are very responsive, and would have to be because you you can't be slow here you've got to be they need to be responsive otherwise it don't work however Mm. whilst the concept is sound i do think it gets a little much and a little repetitive as it goes on there's not much in the way of variety a total amount of variety only 20 levels but i think it could just wear on you a bit because it's quite hard to get into i don't know i don't think it changes up much as it goes on i do not think i don't think you're going to push much further than 20 levels those who get into it though get the hang of the controls there's quite Mm. a high skill ceiling to this Yep. So I think, you know, if, you, if you're if you really good at snapping and going around really fast, you can whip through these levels. But if you're not into that, 
There's no timer, which I thought was quite nice. There's no timer to hamper you, so you can take your time in these levels. That's what I found anyway. I was waiting around for ages at the point, and I couldn't see any timer that was counting down. So you don't have, yeah. you can try and work it out a bit and sort of, where do I need to go? I'll try that bit. Okay, mm-hmm. I can jump over there. So you can even progress that way. I thought this was a great game. I never played it before. Novel concept, really well produced throughout. Easily the pick of the week. Easily. I think it's the best game to play this week. I mean, it doesn't have much competition, maybe Ghouls and Ghosts, but it's better than Ghouls and Ghosts. And I th- I found this really engaging. I really enjoyed this. A de- really decent game. I thought it should have been a Sizzler. Personally, I'd have put it in slow 90s. Maybe, maybe. Um, I think 88 may be right, but maybe it could have sneaked a Sizzler. But I, I really quite enjoyed this. I thought it's quite unusual and quite decent. Qdex, Citadel elements, all those kind of games, sort of thing, those top-down things. But the smoothness and the presentation of this, I thought, really lifted it. I really enjoyed mm. it. What about you? Yeah, nice looking and sounding game. Lots of pro polish, isn't there? Thalamus, their signature, isn't it? They have that kind of nice signature. Mm-hmm. Deceptively clever game, isn't it? Looks like a shooter, more of a puzzle. Looks like a yogurt, but it wobbles like a jelly, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the controls and the way it operates do take a bit of getting used to, but once you've got used to that, you'll get into the game space, and the game space is there for you, and quite nicely realised too. It's tough. No, make no mistake about that, of course. But visually, this is at the top of the C64 graphics tree. It's at the good end. Mm-hmm. You know? So we're, we're way ahead of the Striders and the Ghouls and Ghosts and the Moonwalkers and stuff. You know, we're at the other end of the spectrum here, if you pardon the pun. But yeah, they're, they, no, it's, it's really nice pixel work from Rob Stevens with this. It's done a good job. Code is really snappy. as like you say, not a flaw in sight, really, in that respect. The audio is really good for this. Martin mm-hmm. Walker, again, creates some really fantastic music for a game. We may have overlooked him a bit at the bread bins, maybe, but you never know. See what happens in the next ones. But this is a good, solid, engineered game and with great music, great sounds, great gameplay, snappy controls. All the things you want in a game is there and some good puzzles and things to think about too. Good, It's all good. I think like a lot of these kinds of games, if you were going and expecting it to be one kind of thing and you might have been fooled into thinking it was a shooter because of the way it looks, mm. you might bounce off it because of that. Likewise, if you think of it's going to be something that it's not, maybe you're not going to get into it. And the learning curve might be an issue because it's not its not instant. You know, take, you've got to get into the space and get used to the controls. Just because you're not used to that kind of snappiness, it's, you know, it's a bit, when you first do it, you're like, oh my God, what am I doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've got to persevere with it because there's a good game in there and it's far more entertaining a game than walking around an ancient tomb slapping your feet around or, no, and it's certainly, you know, easier on the brain than something like Wicked, which is just a scramble of graphics, you know, so... It's it's at the good end of game design, and it's made by really competent people who know exactly how to make the machine work for them. Those are all great things. I agree with you completely. It's easily the best game of the episode by by miles. Mm-hmm. And it's like we said, you know, we said it about 1989. When the good games are good, they're really good. Now this shows that there's some really good concepts to be had based on the hardware that they've got. You don't have to you know try and go for fidelity and stuff like that. This is a good looking game. Don't get me wrong. But it's got a great idea and some great premise. I think I would agree with you. I think over time it might get a bit samey, but you know, you've got to, you're going to get into this and you're going to want to do more and it drives you on. You get into that space. That's a nice thing. It's a good game. Had I gone for a sizzler for this? I think it's low, it's low 90s for me. This it's, it's, it's up there with other good Thalamus games. You know, it's a very competently well made, well packaged, highly produced, nice graphics, great sounding game. It should be rewarded for that. That this is scoring. Massive amounts less than Ghouls and Ghosts is a bit of a slap across the face, really. This is a better game than Ghouls and Ghosts, and it's better to play, and it's more game in it. Ghouls and Ghosts has always got that music, of course, but you know, take that away and what else is there? But this is a great game. I really enjoyed my time with it. I'd recommend people go and seek this out. And like you, by the way, not a game I'd ever played on the C64, so a welcome breath of fresh air 
you know, and I've always I've come to realise that when Martin Walker's name is genuinely attached to something, generally those games have been pretty good. Yeah, they have. Yeah, he's he's, he's, he's a bit of a sign of quality, isn't he? he doesn't stick his name in yeah, anything. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's, I imagine he's on the front with his little thumbs up. Martin Walker approves. <laughs> I mean, he, he did the original Rupert game, which was it wasn't great, but visually it was excellent, and you know it was yeah, no, it was quality. Yeah, but, to you it. know, cutting his teeth on those things. But the latest one, Citadel, this, loads of the games have been Hunter's really Moon. good, top notch. Hunter's Moon, yeah. oh, good. Um, and I know we didn't do the code for this, or, well, didn't, didn't officially do it, but, you know, even his involvement is clear in this, mm. and that's a good thing. So, yeah, Snare, top-notch, should have been in the low 90s, certainly deserves to be up there, and it's a lot better than anything else we've played. It's it's It scored 6% more than Wicked. That's, you know, it's a lot better than Wicked, so it you know, shows you that Wicked was too better. high, and this is probably a little bit low, but go check it out. Best game of the episode by Viles, that. Yeah, there we go. Nice to end on a high. Always nice, always good. Leaves always you a, leaves good. You, leaves you in a good mood, and we hope it leaves yeah, it you does, in a good yeah. mood. It's good. Leaves you in a good place. Yeah, that's it. That's our six games for this week. Um, what have we looked at? We looked at Ghouls and Ghosts. Great music. Two Amazing frame animation. Mm. Um, we looked at Moonwalker. It's not Awful. good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, we looked at Wicked. Baffling. <laughs> Baffling and eyes scrambling. <laughs> it's like, hey! <laughs> uh, we looked at Eye of Horus. Uh, clumpy and dated. <laughs> not the review they wanted. <laughs> it's not. We looked at Strider. Shiter. Um, yeah. And finally, we looked at Snare, which was, you know, very good. Really good. Very good, um, yeah. And yeah. we highly recommend that one. So that's it. Uh, that's it for our first half of games for January 1990. What have we got coming up next week, Graham? Well, next week we've got these. We've got Retrograde. Oh, okay. Another big okay. Sizzler. Dragon Spirit. Well, there ain't no Sizzler. <laughs> uh, we've got The World of Pictionary. Oh, God. <laughs> I feel that one might fall to me. Uh, Ninja Warriors. <laughs> okay. Who knows? Uh, who knows? Double Dragon 2. Double Dragon Poo. <laughs> Probably. And finally, the controversial Operation Thunderbolt. Oh, goodness me. Yeah, very controversial. Very controversial indeed. We'll discuss that one at length next week. So that's it. If you want to support us, you can do that. You can go to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zap to the past and throw us the sort of price for a sandwich or maybe even a cheap meal deal if you're buying it from a cheap yeah, place. Yeah. And each month, and that really helps. It keeps us going. And you get to join the Discord and uh, stuff like that. Get the episodes early and ad free, uh, which is all cool. Go do that. Or you can chug us a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash zap to the past we never mentioned actually but you know should you wish to you can also watch this in visual style we have a youtube channel and you can watch them on there as well so we also have a shop zap to the past.shop where you can go buy some cool merch if you wish to yeah. get yourself a t-shirt yep. get yourself yep. a lord humongous t-shirt t-shirts hoodies mugs tricks yeah indeed um whitman price of that uh yeah so i think that's about it it's late. Have you got anything else you wish to add, Graham? Or should we finish for the week and head off? I'm all finished for the week now, thankfully. I don't want to have to play some of them games again. No, I well, no, neither do I. So on that note, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. And we have been, as you have been listening to, sorry, Zap to the Past. It's the first time we've done it in a while. First year back, first time back. <laughs> Forgotten how to do the outro. You've been listening to Zap to the Past. We will see you again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. 
We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you? They can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.